The Cultists present Cinema of Cruelty. And today on the Cinema of Cruelty, we ask the question, you know how when you're a young girl and you see a boy playing his bass with his band and his blonde floppy curls and think, I'm totally going to eat his larynx one day. Yeah, you feel me. But what happens when that moment finally comes? Will you be able to plunge your jagged, aquine jaws into his pale little throat? Or would you succumb to the cruelty of the sea folk fate and fade away into foam? Well, let's find out. Because today we are sinking into the moody merfolk semi-autobiography cabaret, The Lure. So sit back, water your scales, and prepare to contemplate the merits of fish sex as we submerge ourselves under the dark fairy tale spell of coming-of-age mermaids in communist Poland. Brought to you by the myriad joys of fish sex, the cannibal quandary of mermaids, the danklet grotto of Polish 1980s nightlife, and the raw jagged undertow of the original Little Mermaid tale. And of course, our safe word today is pescatarian. Anything to add, Benji? Two words, tailgina. Are those two words, or is it a hyphenated one word? Questions. All these questions shall be answered, and more, here on the Cinema of Cruelty. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of... Space! Boy! Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Ninja! I see you shiver. Hi, London. Yo, Benji. Not my goddammit, you know. I would prefer you pronounce it Benji. It's the proper Polish pronunciation of it. I don't care what you want. I have never cared what you want. (laughs) What movie are you watching today? Today we're watching, by far, the greatest mermaid movie to ever come out of Poland, and I do not say that lightly. Yeah, that's some serious words right there. (laughs) Yes, we're watching The Lure today. Yeah, The Lure, or... Daughters of Dancing in the original Polish title. Or so. Daughters of Disco. I, I noticed that the, possibility. some of the, the words there, there's a translation thing there that it's, you know, it can, it can go a few different ways. Yeah. So we'll talk about that title when we get to the title card, because I am interested about the title and its changes, but mm-hmm. yeah. for all intents and purposes, yeah, today we are going to refer to it by its English translated title, The Lure a 2015 movie, a Polish film, and the lightning summary of this film. Actually, first even before the lightning summary, I found this movie on its Criterion Blu-ray release at the used bookstore slash movie DVD game store that is across the street from my place. And as I was checking out, The guy that was ringing me up, he sees the cover of this movie and he's like, have you seen this film? I was like, no, I just saw it on the shelf. It looked interesting. He's like, yeah, you're you're in for a wild ride. This movie is weird. (laughs) And I was like, perfect. When you told me about this film, 
I look it up on IMDb, and the first line of the plot synopsis is, in 1980s Warsaw, two mermaids are adopted by a cabaret. I said, I'm in. I'm in. There's no way there's more information about this that would make me not want to do this movie. Mermaids, 80s, Poland, cabaret. I, I am down to clown on that fish. Let's do this thing. There's an expression. We're just going to get all sorts of interesting words coming from you today, aren't we? All right. So now lightning summary. All right. Take us there. It is ostensibly two mermaids in a musical in a cabaret in an alternative 1980s Poland. That is pretty much the lightning summary, because the rest of it's going to be weird. It's a little bit dreamlike. It operates under a lot of fairy tale logic, so it's got all of that going for it. But two sisters, who are mermaids, come to the shore one quiet evening and convince a family to pull them out into the realm of the humans. And while in this realm of the humans, they're going to begin stripping and singing at a Polish nightclub. One will fall in love and sacrifice a lot of herself along the way. And her sister will sit there, waited with bated breath to know, is she going to eat this dude or not so that her broken heart can heal? We will find out. This week. The answer is no, she oh, won't. And no. it's going to be sad and tragic. Uh... But... Yeah. There is going to be some mermaid sex. <laughs> so that balances it out. That balances the scales of the happy place that this movie is inhabiting. For those of us who were forever left jaded by Disney's The Little Mermaid, this one's for you. Yeah. Actually, another side note. So on the growing list of deep dives that I never thought I would find myself down in preparation for this, Yeah, I read a lot of articles and watched a lot of videos on how fish and then dolphins and then eels have sex. And I regret everything is all I can say <laughs> on that. That was, I was like, oh my God. I'm, That's I, stunning because your motto, as far as I've known you, has been, I regret nothing. So Yeah. Also, I embrace pretty much every single amazing, weird, deviant sex act that is known to mankind, but the stress there is mankind. That apparently uh, does not extend to dolphins. Mm -hmm. I found my limit, and my limit well, is yeah, dolphins. Dolphins are assholes, let's face they it. They are, and they get that vibe when you're watching them just bang it out during mating season over uh. a slow-mo eight-minute video. Look, talk to anyone who's tried to do one of those swim-with-the-dolphin excursions on a tropical island. They'll tell you the dolphins, they're, they're not big on consent. Yeah, no, dolphins are terrible. Yeah. But you... so is watching dolphin sex videos. Oh. And that is all I'm going to say on that oh, until God. we get to their tales. And then I'll talk about dolphin sex again. Okay. Because this is my life. <laughs> so let's just get right into this movie, shall we? All right. Let's go ahead and do it. And I will give a warning that I worry I'm going to mispronounce so many things when we do this. Polish is not my first language or my second language or third. It's not a language I have any experience with whatsoever. And I felt terrible about mispronouncing names last week, so I, I tried to prep for this one. I'm going to try. I apologize if I get a few things wrong. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Meanwhile, I didn't even try. I'm just leaving this one to Benji. Okay. Yeah. Now, I like the kind of the genesis of this movie. As told by the writer, Robert Belesto. 
who said that he originally was wanting to write a biographical film about some friends of his, singer-songwriter duo the Rongska Sisters, who were two women who grew up in these Polish nightclubs, dancing restaurants in Poland and Warsaw in the 1980s, and they lived fascinating lives, and he really wanted to write about that. The problem was they didn't like how transparent he was being with their lives, and so it seemed like the project was dead in the water. And then one day he went to them and said, well, wait a minute. What if, instead of two little girls from Warsaw, they're mermaids? Natural evolution. Yeah, the Rongska sister said, yeah, that makes sense. Go for it. And thus, our tale was born. Belesta also said that what he was wanting was to create a blend of a Polish children's movie from 1984, Akademia Pan Kielska, or Mr. Blot's Academy, which I could find a little bit of on YouTube without subtitles. It seems like it's a very trippy children's film about a young boy who goes to a fancy Hogwarts-ish school, and he finds a bird who used to be human, and he wants to try and make him human again, something like that. And his obvious other inspiration for this that he wanted to use was David Cronenberg's Crash. I actually see that. I do. What a fantastic combination. Yeah, you know, I gave a lightning summary of Mr. Blot's Academy. You want to give a lightning summary of David Cronenberg's Crash? Yeah, James Spader fucks cars for an hour and a half, and it's fantastic. The doofy kid from 16 Candles makes out with Casey Jones from Ninja Turtles, okay? Do I need to say anything more? Wait, the James Spader movie that is your go-to is 16 Candles? <laughs> what? Purely to piss you off. What? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Ultron makes out with Casey Jones from, uh, yeah, I know that's even worse, isn't it? Uh, uh, <laughs> killing me, man. <laughs> James Spader has an amazing oeuvre of B-rated softcore sex films from the late 1980s through the 1990s, and they're all amazing, and they should all be watched. Dream Lover that he did with Machin Amick is a super bizarre and fun ride. Sex Lies and Videotape, Secretary. That one actually was 2000, but 2001. White Castle? White Palace. White, 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 Palace, White Palace is an amazing James Spader movie. So now this episode is getting hijacked by my love of James Spader. There are a lot of things to know James Spader from, but ultimately Crash, the Cronenberg Crash from 1995 is the one to know him from because it is a adaptation of a James Ballard novel lots of postmodernist prose looking at a community that is into car crash fetishism. So the sexual fetishization of machines and metal and speed and crashes, <laughs> destruction, all, all sorts of things. It's really fantastic. It's really just people fucking in and around cars for an hour and a half. It's the best of Cronenberg's films. So basically, it's not the 2005 film. Uh, yeah, it's not the 2000-whatever film that didn't have sex in cars. <laughs> Talking about the crash that matters. Yeah, the Cronenberg crash. Right, right. And so that's, of course, related to this 2015 mermaid movie from, from Poland. Yeah, I could see that, because like, the body is all a, a malleable object mm -hmm. in Ballard and in Cronenberg's crash, and in this. It's that... Sexual fetishization of parts. So I get it. Yeah. I do get it. All right. Great. Now, we start off with some animation, some 
very creepy. I think this is like one of the few times that you and I are both watching something and we both say, this is creepy, guys. This is disturbing what we're watching here. Yeah, because the animation title sequence, it fills the screen. And not only the visual of this animation, but the sound that accompanies this animation is just unsettling in the best way. We get dripping water noises. We have the movement of that water and waves echoing caverns. And the visual that we get to accompany these sounds are these pale, super, super pale blonde women with sunken features hanging out in these watery caves with a bunch of skulls. And the women in these animations, they're not moving. They are just static, drawn pictures. But the skulls, the skulls are moving. They're bobbing up and down in the water. They're flowing through those rivers. And then we finally, as we're panning across this just long visual feast of uncanny weirdness, we realize that one of these pale blonde women, we see her under the water. We see her half that's below the water and she's got a tail. And she has a man that's standing above her who also is really emaciated and looks like he's mostly just muscle with no skin. It's very disturbing. And she is definitely about to eat this dude who is totally naked. As I understand it, this opening animation, this very creepy animation, is the work of Polish painter Aleksandra Walewczewski, who is a painter uh, who's been in the game for decades now from understand i mean she she started super young has been going for yeah 10 20 years now or something like that and a lot of her work i'll have to put some of that up on uh, instagram twitter and all that at cinema of cruelty follow us like we told you last week or we will kill you follow for follow that reference is lost within this episode i know really <laughs> now you just sound like the jackass you are okay oh for god's sakes but her visual style was a very big influence on this film, according to the director and the cinematographer. Yeah, beautiful stuff. And we get the sense right away, as a good title sequence, animated title sequence, should do, the vibe that this movie is going to be, which is that this is a movie about mermaids, but a very cool, darker kind of mermaid. This uh. is not your Disney animated 1989 film, The Little Mermaid. This is something else. Yeah, it doesn't have an evil mermaid that's modeled on Divine from those John Waters films, unfortunately. Although, <laughs> The Little Mermaid from Disney and this movie are based off of the same primary source. So that's interesting to think about. Somehow, <laughs> the Disney movie and this movie, they come from the same source material, which is Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid from 1837. And there are a lot of cool, weird things that this movie takes from that short story. And I will be covering throughout where and what those things are. Mm -hmm. This movie does have a Jamaican crab. That was a strange choice to me, but... It did have them in a deleted <laughs> scene combing their hair with a fork, which is not oh, in the oh, wow. Hans Christian Andersen story. It's just in the Disney adaptation. Uh -oh. So there is <laughs> some crossover there, but... Yeah, that didn't stay in the film. Oh, wow. That's... Very nice, very nice. But having gone through that, we cut to some people singing by the side of a river. 
in Poland, having a good old time, and one little girl pops up out of the water just to look at them and say, Oh, what are they doing? And you think that she's on her own. But, uh, no. She has company, and we hear this amazing entrance sound. Oh, God! Oh. amazing sound effects throughout this movie yes they're just so eerie and really evoke the water and the things that live below the water with that echolocation sound but this is her sister golden who pops up whose sister our first girl silver we're gonna learn their names later (laughs) but might as well introduce them now right we've got two sisters silver and golden silver is the first one you would think the younger one even though marta mazurik was the older of the two actors i was surprised by that and her older sister golden played by michalina oshayinska golden god she's the fierce one the second that golden shows up i'm like i'm 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 scare aroused by this mermaid. Yeah, I'm totally into this golden chick. She is bringing it. Her face is downcast, but her eyes are looking upwards. This is going to be her head angle for most of the film. It's just a choice she's making, and somehow it is working. She does look like she is about ready to tear something to pieces. And fittingly, these two girls, they start singing a little song that the English subtitles translates to help us come ashore, we won't eat you, eat you, eat you. Oh. Uh, I was like, well, that wasn't necessarily what I thought you were going to do, but now that you've said it, I'm pretty sure you're maybe going to eat them, probably. Then the men, though, they don't have this adverse reaction. They're drawn in to these lovely songstresses in the water. And so they approach, they gather closer, and then the woman who's been part of this singing festival comes out or around the corner and she just starts screaming. And then we get a cut to the title card. We don't see what she sees in the final version. We actually do have a deleted scene that is on the Criterion DVD release because this did get a U.S. release predominantly through Criterion is how it came mostly to the U.S. Bringing us the good stuff, Criterion. That's right. Yeah. So we do have a deleted scene. Do you want to talk about that deleted scene? Yeah, it's deleted for a goddamn reason because (laughs) (laughs) all the deleted scene is she screams and instead of cutting right to the title sequence, we see what she sees, which is two mermaids on the beach. And it's revealing the good stuff too early. It's very much in keeping with horror movie standards and just good bait and switch, you know, make them wait for the reveal logic to not reveal the mermaids quite yet. To have them just cut to the mermaids after she screams, well, eh, it's better to be confused and think, oh my God, what did she see? That could be terrifying, whatever it is. Yeah, what did they do? Did they just kill these dudes? Did they just eat them? We don't know. Instead, oh, mermaids. Oh, okay. That's that's fine. And then cut to the title scene. The Polish title of this, if I'm getting this correctly, is Korki Dancingu. But the American title, it's weird. The subtitles come up and it says The Lure. And even though I do not know a word of Polish, even I'm thinking I really don't think that's what Korki Dancingu means. And I looked it up. 
Corky does mean daughters. Danzingu can actually take on a few different forms. It generally means dancing, the act of dancing. But as a noun, it can mean the locale of dancing. It can mean ballroom, dancing club, a discotheque, a just dance hall. So it has different interpretations. In the making of feature that Criterion included for this, which they called Off the Hook, <laughs> you, you earned that money, Criterion. Well done. Well done. The cinematographer keeps referring to the movie as the Daughters of Disco, which personally is the way cooler title to me. But I don't know. For whatever reason, when they brought it over to the States, they called it the Lure, which is that's a thing from the movie. And definitely the way you could describe these two, the lure. So, yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, disco does have a very different vibe and meaning in the U.S. than it does mm -hmm. in Europe. So they might have just translated it differently in accordance to that, because disco is a very particular music and dance movement in the U.S. in the 70s. But discos in Europe tend to actually be physical nightclub locations. Mm -hmm. So these girls are going to work at a disco later in this film. Yes. So they are kind of this daughters of this disco. Well, London, the interview process was not difficult for these two. So Yeah. Although to have that double meaning, that potential double meaning between a nightclub or just the act of dancing is also a fun little wordplay because being daughters of dancing and or dancing comes up a lot in the source material that oh. this movie is drawing from. So I All also right. am going to point that out as we go along where the dancing comes up. So it's a cool little clever double meaning there in the title. All right. But first, the Little Mermaid. Tell us about that delightful little Ariel and her buddy Flounder and that mean old dad of hers, King Triton. Yeah, so none of that is in the Hans Christian Andersen story. There's no Ariel. I mean, there's a Little Mermaid, but she's just the Little Mermaid. She doesn't have a name. Is there a castle tower that looks like a penis? I like to think there is. Okay, all right. That, that's, that's, we're good. We're good. The story doesn't say that there isn't. Uh -huh. So as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, in the story, she is just referred to as the Little Mermaid, capital L, capital M. <laughs> Ariel is going to be a Disney addition. Sure. Her father also is not officially named Triton or anything like that, but she does live with this widowed father who has six daughters. So oh, he okay. is the king of the sea, and she, the Little Mermaid, has sisters. She has five older sisters. Each one is one year older than the next. And there's this mermaid custom that on their 15th birthday, each mermaid gets to go to the shore and see what the human world is like. It's kind of like a mermaid rumspringa from the Amish communities, I guess the best way to think of that, where they've been living in a specific cultural subset their whole lives. And then at a coming of age moment, they get to pop out and see the human world and her sisters, they're like, yeah, it was fine. It was cool, but we're coming back to the undersea world community. Yeah, this is legs the place suck. for us. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want any part of that civilization over there yonder. Like, <laughs> eh. Except for the Little Mermaid. She yearns to see the human realms. She wants to be where the people are. She wants to watch them walking around or whatever. And so when she turns 15, she finally gets to go up and see the shore. When she pierces through that water, she sees a ship, and there is a party going on on this ship. There's music and celebration. 
and there's a boy. And this boy, he's a prince, and he's hot. And so she's like, you know what? I, I'm having feelings for that prince. I'm having feelings I've never felt before. I feel funny in all of my fish places, <laughs> and I don't know what to do about that. So she decides that she loves him. And we are going to pause in The Little Mermaid there because right now that's catching us up to kind of where we are. So right now in our movie, we have these girls that are sisters who are coming to the shore. So possibly if we want to think that this is working by Little Mermaid logics, maybe this is their first time that they're coming to shore because they are on the precipice of their coming of age years. So this possibly puts them as like twins. Maybe they're both right in there. Mermaid rum spring a moment, and they're both 15, 16, what have you. Coming of age, they come up to the shore, they see the revelry and the partying, and Silver, she sees her prince. She's like that guy. There's something about that guy. <laughs> the Little Mermaid never worked in a nightclub, though. Oh. That comes from something else. So let's cut to that nightclub. All right. The nightclub. This club that they're going to film a lot of scenes at apparently was a closed-down nightclub in Warsaw called the Adria. And the story that I loved from the director about this place was that when they were scouting locations, they went to this old nightclub, and inside, while they were going around, in one room, they found a single sequined high-heeled shoe next to a half-full shot glass of vodka that had been sitting there for God knows how long. Director said, you know what? That's the spirit, man. This is our place. Alcohol evaporates faster than water. How is it still there? I don't know. I don't um, know. Mystery. Either that or a very recent squatter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, or ghosts. Also a feasible option in okay. this haunted disco. Oh, sure, sure, sure. For the vodka drinking. Mm -hmm. that's, that's important to throw out there as a possibility. I would never mm -hmm. want to deny that. Now, yes, we cut to this nightclub, and the family that was on the shore is singing at this nightclub, mostly with the matriarch of the family. And she starts right up with the Donna Summer song, I Feel Good. And that surprised me for a moment because, as if one, I thought this movie was Polish and in Polish. And for the exception of this one song, everything else is in Polish and everything else is original material. So it was interesting to me that they chose this one song that is non-original to put in there so it must have some sort of significance but i couldn't find exactly what that significance was other than to maybe set the time and place of the era it could be that this is a western influence in the club one thing i did discover about dancing restaurants as they are called in warsaw in the 1980s came from the director who said in an interview under communism dancing restaurants were very popular they were places where people came to enjoy live performances of Polish and American hits played by great musicians. On Fridays and Saturdays, there were special programs with an MC, a stripper, a magician, and a band, and people could dance in pairs. The dancing restaurant culture was typical for Eastern Bloc countries. It was a world where one could escape politics. The dancing connected people from different spheres. Bureaucrats, directors, cab drivers, and bankers could all go there to have a good time. Dancing restaurants also had better food, like meat, Coca-Cola, good vodka, cognac, things one couldn't buy in grocery stores. It was a peek into a better Western world. So perhaps opening with this Western song is a good representation of the acts that you would be seeing at these nightclubs back then. Yeah, I like that. 
And it does seem then that a lot of the people involved in this movie had some sort of background or personal experience with nightclubs. So the writer is starting out writing the screenplay based off of these two nightclub singers or two sister singers that had performed in nightclubs as part of their life story. And then the director was drawn to this project because she herself was a daughter of nightclub owners who grew up in 1980s Poland, spending a lot of time in nightclubs. So both the director has that nightclub influence and the two sisters that they're based on had these personal coming-of-age moments in nightclubs. And so we get all three of their stories sort of intermixed mm -hmm. and mingled in with this mermaid storytelling. With mermaids, sure. <laughs> yeah, with mermaids. And what also becomes really interesting about setting this in the 1980s is situating it under this more Soviet time in Poland's history, that it is curious to think of some of the martial law censorships that Poland had, or the Polish film industry had enacted upon them in the 1980s, which restricted a lot of ability for Polish filmmakers to put certain things into their movies. Mm. And they're also, I was actually randomly reading an article about this a couple of weeks ago, just by coincidence. And then I went back and I started looking at it again about how much Polish cinema was lost in the interwar period. So there's a lot of early Polish cinema that was lost and that wasn't preserved. Aww. And then there was That's a sad. lot of Polish cinema that suffered a little bit under the censorship, particularly with martial law in the 1980s. And so this is a film that's reimagining Poland in the 1980s. And it's showing us this view that we actually don't really get in 1980s Polish cinema. Mm -hmm. So whereas in the US, there's a lot of retro throwback 1980s films that you watch something like even TV shows like Stranger Things and or we've talked about Beyond the Black Rainbow where it's like, oh, this feels like a 1980s piece of media that's just being filmed in the 2000s. But if we go back to the 1980s, we can also find things that feel like Stranger Things. But that doesn't really happen as much in Poland. This story of Western influence and sexual exploration and liberation really wasn't coming out of 80s Poland at the time. So it's a it's a remembered mm. film that substitutes for what was not able to be created mm -hmm. at the time. So yeah, interesting, weird little recapturing there for me. I'm fascinated by that. Right on. Speaking of the 80s. Yeah, it's the 80s. Hey, you know what else they had in the 80s? Coke. coke. Oh, so much cocaine. So much cocaine. Oh, Apparently my. that was not limited to just the US. It was everywhere oh, in the 80s. Boy. Coke just made a global takeover. <laughs> we meet the owner of this nightclub, this old, just greasy looking man, you know, nah, you know doing the good stuff there. Yeah, just like the way that we're establishing the 1980s so far. It's like, well, we're opening with a vaguely Disco-inspired Donna Summers song at a nightclub cabaret with neon lights, and then we see a dude in a suit doing a line of coke off of a bar. Must be the '80s. <laughs> there is no other option. I think it's the '80s. My God, yeah. And there are yeah. some beautiful shots of this guy walking around his nightclub. This whole place is lit brilliantly, and we'll go more into that later on. Eventually, he heads back to his office, and we meet. The two mermaids, golden and silver from before, but now they're kind of, they have legs right now. So you would think, huh, I thought there were mermaids in this film. Yeah, and they're totally naked. So they're just hanging out in the back room of this nightclub. 
just, yeah, completely naked, and a crazy part of the preparation that these two women went through, who were both in their 20s when they were doing this, was that they had to learn how to be comfortable being nude on camera. And they had to hit this weird middle ground where they couldn't look shy about being nude on camera, but they also couldn't look cocky about it either, as if they were showing off. They had to just be nonchalant about being completely naked most of the time on camera because that's how mermaids would be. Mermaids have no concept of clothing or modesty. So to them, not having clothes on is as normal as not wearing a tie. So, yeah. Yeah. So they're chill. But these mermaids, it gets uncomfortably exploitational real quick because they're hanging around all nude. And the patriarch of the river folk singers slash nightclub performers comes in to show them off. And how he does that is he has one of them bend over so that we can see her ass and that her ass has no crack in it. That it's all one slightly smooth, it's slightly concaved a little bit, like she almost is going to have some sort of ass crack, but no. Unlike the 80s, there is no crack here. Yeah, somehow, yeah, this is the one thing that (laughs) missed the cracking coke takeover was the under the sea (laughs) community, but she bends over all the way, we see that there is no seam, and then... He has her sit down and he takes one of her legs and opens it up so that we can see the same thing is happening where her vaginal area would otherwise be. And he remarks, see, smooth as Barbie dolls. And now I've learned that Barbie doll in Polish is Barbie doll. Yeah. Another thing that the 80s just took over globally, I suppose. But, yes, so... This is feeling weird. It's feeling a little gross. Even for me, who loves super gross, (laughs) dubious consent shit in cinema. I'm like, this feels weird. I don't like watching this. Doesn't mean that nobody will like watching it. So if you really like what I'm saying right now, this film is for you. And embrace that, by all means. No judgment, guys. No judgment, just not our thing. Yeah, no, we're really setting up a certain type of the quote-unquote exploitational cinema like male gaze here and the way that these women on the brink of their coming of age sexuality are being gazed at objectified and manhandled by this particular situation and these older men in this situation and then he takes a glass of water that has a toothbrush in it. Like, it's somebody has put their toothbrush in this glass next to the sink, which people do, but he fills it up with water and he does not take the toothbrush out. For some reason, I'm really hung up on that detail because I love that detail. It's just so bizarre to me. You just like, thought, oh, what there's, an asshole. there's no good place to put the toothbrush. I, I'm just going to leave it in the glass he just, while yeah, I do he just this. doesn't care, you know? Yeah. So, like, so he takes this cup and he starts splashing water on these women. And... As the water splashes onto their bodies, little shimmers of scales begin to appear on their lower half. It's a really cool effect. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of really cool, simple visual effects in this that are just fantastic. And a lot of them have to do with their tails. And this is also why it's really good we did not get the reveal at the opening because it works way better here to see the mermaid tails because the mermaid tails in this movie are fucking huge. Yeah. When, normally when you see mermaids, be it Splash, Little Mermaid, 
really any other representation of a mermaid, the tail is about as long as the human feet would be. Not here. Here, it's like an extra six feet of length that these girls have now because of their tails. Yeah, these tails are super cool because we're expecting mermaids. We're prepped for it. We mm-hmm. read the back of the DVD box and or the streaming summary, and we saw the opening animation of those killer man-eating mermaids. So yeah, mermaids. the mermaid okay. part's not the surprise. It's the way that these tails look that you're like, whoa, that was something I was not expecting because they are gigantic. And they're very eel-like, serpentine-like. They got the fins on them. Fins that look like Godzilla's back or something. Like, very scary, monstrous-looking at times. And the amazing underwater sea sonic sound effects are back. And it's just doing some really cool stuff. And this tail that's serpentine and gigantic, it purposely, according to the director, was meant to evoke the feeling that these girls, these types of mermaids in this world are descendants of dragons, that that is their their birthright in some way. And like, that's cool to think of mermaids as maybe dragon related Mm -hmm. instead of dolphin related or... I mean, technically, mythical creatures, they probably do have a lot more in common with dragons than dolphins. But Mm. this idea of being descended from dragons is actually not exclusively the filmmakers. Where mermaids and dragons mostly intersect comes out of some subset lore of Japan, mostly because there is a temple in a place I don't know how to pronounce, which I probably should have looked up, Fukuoka. Maybe. You really should have looked that up. Yeah. Yeah. A temple in Fukuoka, Japan, that has these mermaid bones on display. Oh. These alleged mermaid bones that had washed up onto the shore in 1222. So these are actually really old bones that this temple has had in their possession for a very long time and believed to be mermaid bones that were found buried under a building or a temple that was built as a shrine to this particular dragon god of the sea. So the monk that found them at the time said, we must preserve these because these are mermaid bones that are descendants from the dragon god at the bottom of the ocean. This buddy said, I think you're jumping to a few conclusions there, but uh, you know what? You got the temple. You do you. You're cool. Yeah, these bones... Benji can also upload pictures of these mermaid Oh, bones. can I, London? Oh, you can. golly gee, yeah. thanks. That's, yeah, I mean, boy. The closest thing that they look like is that they might be cow bones. So oh, well. not, yeah, unfortunately, there's probably a mundane a explanation, a but it's really cool on a folklore level that there are these 800-year-old bones that are believed to be the mermaid bones and that those mermaids were descended specifically from a dragon sea god. And that's what we're getting here, is that these girls, they're descendants of dragon sea gods. That's badass. So on. I'm on board. But along with this serpentine tale comes this purposeful actualizing of the metaphor of puberty. And once again, this exploration of the male gaze and exploitation, because puberty in this is going to come with a little bit of metaphorical monstrosity that is coming to life. That these girls' bodies, they change. And with that comes 
these odors and slimes. And that's kind of mm -hmm. an amazing, well, like the grossness of the body. And the men are going to react to that where they're both very intrigued by these naked women. But then they're also a little repulsed by like, oh, they're slimy. And but then there is a vagina on this tail and they're going to poke and finger at it. And one <sighs> of the guys is like, oh, it's not so bad. I'd do it. And these girls are just kind of sitting there hanging out. <laughs> While these dudes just poke and finger at their fish vagina. Uh, tail, vagina. Once again, really uncomfortable. <laughs> oh. and I don't know if it's uncomfortable for me because of the dubious consent or because it's fish. And I just have a really hard time. I don't know what it is with dolphin and fish sex. I have learned this about myself in the last 24 hours. That there's something about <laughs> fish fucking that squicks me out. I can't do it. A line of all of in the, the sand things, has been drawn. And past this line, no fish fucking shall cross. Yeah. And the people that know me and know the th things that like I will not only put up with, but embrace on the perversion scale, like the fact that fish sex is my line is very bizarre, even to me. But yeah, it's a thing. I, I can't, I can't do it. But this vagina is at the pretty low down in the tail. It's a slit. And that also seemed just physically like a bad place to have it. Yeah, it's right next to the, the spiky fins. So if, you know, consent willing, someone was wanting to have a go there. Ouch. Ow. Oh, I didn't even mean the, I mean, the spiky fins. It was more just I did. The, the kinetic motion. It's very low down on the tail. So later when she tries to seduce the river boy, who I'm going to be referring to as white tie mm -hmm. on this, because one of the things that, I forgot to mention is that this family in general is going to perform a couple of different numbers at this nightclub. Usually the kid that Silver falls for is wearing a white silk tie and a white suit over different types of 80s print fabric shirts. And I love that choice. I just so, kept yeah, calling him tie. blonde Ron Weasley. He also has that vibe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other really important thing is that the matriarch of the family plays the keytar. And that also made me happy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. both important points. But what pisses white me off here. is that White Tie, he plays the bass, and Silver's going to fall for this guy. Honey, he's a bass player. Have some self respect, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, basses aren't so bad. But yeah. at some point, she is going to invite him to try to interact with her fish vagina. And just imagine, like, the spatial reasoning of that where like he doesn't have a lot to kind of like thrust against because it's really low down on the tail it's kind of like humping somebody's ankle which can be done but it's way better to hump somebody's shin or their thigh right it's kind of like it can be done but it's not like the best i don't know i thought a lot about the kinetic motions and trajectory of this fish sex yeah for somebody who's not into the fish sex i thought a lot about it yeah the, the positioning is a little off but eh. yeah but I was looking up to see, okay, what type of aquatic animal is this particular vagina based off of? And this slit is located much more like a type of fish that would actually lay its eggs external to its body, and then they'd be fertilized externally. Because mm -hmm. we also got some mermaid vagina in the lighthouse. And that oh, mermaid yeah. vagina was spectacular because... There was a lot of crazy stuff going on there, mostly because that vagina in the lighthouse is modeled very closely after shark labia, but just a lot oh, of layers yeah. of shark labia. 
Mm-hmm. And though not all sharks give live births, there are a lot of varieties that do, and those are the kind that that baby it took from. So that type of vagina is a little bit more traditionally what we think of as mammalian sex, even though sharks aren't mammals, but you know, you feel me. Mm-hmm. So there is that. And there is a lot of discussion online. This is the other fish sex deep dive that I did. There are many, many forum discussions on how mermaids have sex, which delighted and fascinated me considering that mermaids aren't (laughs) actually real. So I don't know why (laughs) there would be a canonical answer to this. Is it really shocking to you that this is a heated debate online? No, actually, no, okay. I'm just really glad it was. I was so okay, happy that thank it was. You. I'm like, but, yeah, you of all yeah. people should not be surprised by that. Come on. No, you. no. But I, well, I was a little surprised by just like how variant the debate got in all terms right. of people's opinions on it. Points for effort for everybody around. It's all good. Yeah. So people out there fighting the good fight. <laughs> I salute you. <laughs> but it did cause me to come across sentences that were things like mermaids are indeed monotrems they lay eggs and lactate and their uh-huh. belly buttons are actually their cloci mermaids pee and poop from their belly buttons and that was i guess the end of the discussion on that oh, and i was like what uh, what huh. i was like there's a lot to unpack there i'm not gonna unpack it all right now but it's like this is my life for 24 hours. I mean... It's watching fish sex videos and reading sentences like that. That introduces so many complications when we get to the surgery towards the later half of this film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, other people think they're actually more like dolphins. Because monotremes would be more like platypuses or something. I don't know. It's a third classification Ugh, of mammals that platypi, aren't very popular. Hi, London. Jesus Christ. No, platypuses, reindeers, fishes, it's all very important. You go straight to hell and eat a box of dicks. We already talked about how this just sounds fun, so (laughs) don't know what you're trying to do there. Okay, look, London, agree to disagree on whatever it was we were talking about, but one thing that we have to agree on is that you gotta keep your mermaids watered. You gotta water them, you can't let them dry out, because bad things happen if you do. Yeah, that's true. That's a rule that's going to be wildly inconsistent throughout this movie. But right now, that matters. That you gotta water your mermaids. And somebody dropped the ball on that. So when they come back into the room, these mermaids, they still have their legs. And they are crouched and cowering and flopped over onto the ground. The elderly nightclub, coked out nightclub owner, is there with them saying, I didn't hurt them. You know, this feels, once again, like kind of a potential reference to some sort of abuse of power and sexual assault. But mm. in this case, it's just that he forgot to water them. But they're playing with some dark themes here. And then they have an idea of, I know what to do. We need more water. Luckily, we have a really cool pool attached to this nightclub so let's pick them up and throw them in there apparently so this is a real olympic pool that is in warsaw apparently i liked that in the bonus features they described it as being built in the socialist realist style which is a version of architecture i'm not terribly familiar with but i have heard you go on very pretentious diatribes talks about diatribes Look at me diatribe you about diatribing. Oh, for fuck's sake. 
<laughs> but that is a style of architecture, socialist realist, I believe, or I think you've also referred to it as communist architecture. Yeah, I'm, there's a slight difference in oh. variation, but... Well, actually... Yes. <laughs> well, actually, Badger, <laughs> let me tell you about socialist realism. No, um, this pool is beautiful. I will, maybe if I feel like it later, cut something in about socialist realism, because I would have to make sure that I'm getting this... You gotta, get, you gotta warn me when you want me to talk about an architectural movement. <laughs> can't just spring that on me, man. Holy just, shit. These things don't just happen, Badger. I don't just wake up like this. Oh. No. Yeah, thing. this pool hall, it's got a lot of this interesting natural light coming in. It's dark, but you can kind of see all of the glass and the steel that is surrounding it. Beautiful, just wide shot mm -hmm. of the cool blue and green tones. It's really evoking the sea. And they just unceremoniously dump these two women Like sacks of potatoes, just like, just toss them into the water. Everything splashes, but they are revitalized by this water. That's going to be a foreshadowing where it seems like they're almost dead, but throwing them in water and they're fine. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll grow back. Their tails come. We get this really great underwater shot sequence of watching them swim with their tails. These tails, by the way, mostly practical effects, a little bit of CGI, mm -hmm. but these were... I think that they were 150 pounds each, about seven feet long, and they had pedals in them that the girls could maneuver and manipulate to make them flop around. Yeah, I love the actors talked about getting these things on, and they said, we actually felt like princesses anytime we had these things on because there had to be three other guys to carry us around, and we just felt like we were in a parade every time that we were doing that. Also known as the only way in which I will wear high heel shoes. <laughs> this is somebody or some other people collectively will carry me around while I do so because fuck those things. It's true, folks. I've I've done it. <laughs> so you probably have. It's true. I'm not proud. <laughs> All right. So once they're revitalized by the water, they go shopping. You escape death, only one thing to do, and that's go shopping. Yeah. Let's go to the mall. Let's go right do. to the mall and have just an all-out musical number at the mall. This movie, if you haven't caught on by now, is kind of a musical in the very traditional definition of a musical in that people break from the diegesis of the movie to sing a song to us, the audience, about what they have going on. And this is the most traditional of those numbers as they run around this mall, sing about how much they're happy to be in the city now, how they think they'll stay. And the most telling lyric from the entire song, I think, is the English translation is, the city will tell us what we lack. Ah, wow. Okay. Finding fulfillment through the consumerism. Well, that's some Western influence right there for you. And not very communist Poland or yeah. Soviet Poland in yeah. the 1980s. No, I think it's more just that, yeah, the civilization of the humans, they can watch and observe and they will modify their behavioral patterns in a Probably course. more accurate for, yeah, communist Poland. What's weird, though, is that this number sequence right here is the only real super musical feeling moment in the entire movie mm -hmm. where we have a big group of people that are running around all dancing together that it is completely extra and otherworldly because whereas the rest of the numbers a lot of them will be set in the nightclub where 
they are singing and performing. But instead of singing and performing the nightclub song, they're kind of performing their interior dialogue. Mm-hmm. Or it'll be one of the mermaids just wandering around the house singing. Yeah. This is just what that big musical number where they're skipping and dancing up the street and up escalators. And it's the only scene like it. Yeah, this is the scene I could see being done as a Broadway show. A big chorus number, the whole chorus line is in on it, and they're just running around a big giant set, Bugsby Berkeley style if you want to. It's the one time you could see it transposed to the stage, whereas everything else is more like a music video song in a strange way. Ultimate takeaway here for them is that they like it here and they're going to stay a little while. Silver, in the midst of this musical number, she has a nosebleed and collapses. Golden, meanwhile, she's still rocking her super dark side because she's Mm -hmm. crouched in the window, still with that head down tilt, eyes up glare, just looking super menacing over the scene of her fainting sister. And then boy band white tie. Uh, has guy. a blossoming fish fucking curiosity. He sees her faint and picks her up off of the ground. I guess he's more of a bass player. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh. mermaids, they're telepathic. Oh. Yes, they're telepathic. <laughs> Sorry, that was ridiculous. I'm glad you amuse yourself. Okay, you? yes, this you know. Important. They're telepathic, and the sound design, if we haven't mentioned it already in this movie, is incredible, because we have some trippy sounds playing while they do their fish speak, their mer telepathy speak. Like, this is them going back and forth and saying, hey, what if we stay here for a little while before we swim to America? Yeah, I'm into that idea. We can do that. Just don't fall in love. What if you fall in love? Yeah. (laughs) Will you eat him? And Silver looks at her like, bitch, please. (laughs) They're looking at each other through the mirror in the back room. So they're both sitting side by side. The back room of the club they're about to perform is... Yeah, and they're speaking to one another with their minds, man. Their mermaid minds. And this actually is a thing that I have seen represented in a lot of mermaid folklore. Is this idea that mermaids can communicate telepathically. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's that's a thing. But I do like we get this little introduction of, will you eat him if you fall in love? And you're like, wait a second, what? Except we're not that surprised because they already had that song at the beginning about how they're not going to eat these guys. <laughs> we're like, we don't believe you. We don't believe you at all. Was that on the table that you were going to eat me? I don't. Yeah. yeah. So this is once again back on the table. Will she, won't she <laughs> fall in love and eat this dude? And I was like, oh, girl talk. Oh, uh, yeah. Good yes. stuff there. It's odd that they reference swimming to America. Apparently Warsaw is just uh, a little stopover before they you know, swim across the pond to get to the States. Yeah, and I saw an interview with the director on this very topic, which was that this America premise was built in as a thing that she saw growing up a lot of immigrants who were passing through Poland en route to the dream of going to America. Why there was a dream of going to America, I don't know. But um, (laughs) they had the dream of going to America. And... 
yet ended up getting really used by the sex industry and uh, stuck in Poland. And that mm. seems to be the trajectory for these mermaids as well, who are outsiders who have come in and they are passing through. But they got snatched up by these nightclub people who are like, hey, we can use you and your voices and your bodies because also these girls can sing. They're young and they're pubescent. They're on the verge of womanhood. So yeah, let's have them strip. It'll be great. That's, that's the plan. And yeah, that just kind of had those vibes. But that was another thing that just kind of came from the director's personal life and experience. Oh, uh, okay. Also, I don't know if this came from the sisters' personal lives and experience, but there is some crazy sexual energy between these two mermaids. They, throughout this film, will keep kissing and sharing breadsticks like they're in the Lady in the Tramp movie. Golden especially is really into her sister, and it's mm. so great. I think they kiss two or three times, mm -hmm. and I was into it every time. And it, every time I saw it, just that quote from Ferris Bueller got stuck in my head. It was like, oh, so that's how it is in their family. Because <laughs> oh. like, it's just a mermaid thing. Oh. Like, we don't know mermaid yeah. culture. Mermaid yeah. incest might be totally chill. Mm. And that's great. Could be. They don't seem to hide it or have any shame in it, and I support them. I was disappointed that Ariel only kissed her sisters the one time. And that deleted scene from the animated Yeah, I know. Archives, was, yeah. Man, that was awesome. Missed I that. think I've seen that animated porn. There's actually <laughs> lots of Disney animated porn. I'm sure it's probably well, out there. Well, of course there is. Why would there not be? Jesus, what are you, new here? But in The Little Mermaid, so back to, meanwhile, in the Hans Christian Andersen The original, Little Mermaid. The original story, The Little yes. Mermaid. Yes, yes. So the Little Mermaid, she, as we mentioned, saw this prince at the party and falls in love. Like Silver saw her boy band white tie at the riverside partying it up and fell in love. So she goes back down to the bottom of the sea and asks her grandmother if humans live forever. For some reason, this is her first question on her mind. Not oh. how do you know if boys like you or how do you know if you like a boy or... Why does this dude look different from me? None mm. of these questions. Instead, it's, do humans live forever? And grandma tells her, nope, they die faster than mermaids. Because mermaids, they live to about 300 years. Oh, wow. But when mm. humans do die, they go to heaven. Whereas mermaids, they turn into foam and become nothing. <laughs> <laughs> We're foam. Oh, my God. And that's it. Yeah. So nothing. they become nothing. <laughs> wow. So technically, humans are immortal, soul speaking. Yikes. That's weird. And so Little Mermaid is all, well, I want to be immortal and go to heaven too. Okay. We're starting to see a, a theme in this morality, very heavy-handed morality Christian narrative, aren't we? Yeah. But yeah, so Little Mermaid, she's like, wait, I'm inferior to humans because I don't have an eternal soul and God doesn't love me. How do I get an eternal soul? Jeez. Her grandmother's like, okay, if you want a soul, the only way to do it is to get a human to fall in love with you. Because if they love you hard enough, part of their soul will pass into your soulless, empty, cavernous, dead foam body or something. So you know, that's the way to do I that. I mean, look, we're working with living to 300, turning into foam. That's as fair logic as you're going to get. So yeah, why not? Yeah. Soul comes into the, you and you're not foam anymore. Okay, fine. And there's actually a legacy of this before Hans Christian Andersen. The infamous alchemist Pericles, who's great and weird and crazy, and I'll talk about him some other time, but he did rewrite a treatise on 
a book of nymphs, sylphs, pygmies, and salamanders, and on the other spirits. So there's a title. It's quite a mouthful. That was a little treatise from 1566. And that is, as far as I can tell, the first published work that spawns the idea that a water elemental can acquire an immortal soul through marriage with a human. Hmm. And this leads Fouquet's novel Undyne later to manifest and go by these rules and logics. And then also Hans Christian Andersen is going to write The Little Mermaid and use these logics. So there's a little evolution here. And Hans Christian Andersen will have a lot of notes on Undyne and how he's doing things a little bit differently, mm -hmm. but that's more towards the end. Right now, we're all working on the same base premise that she's got to get a boy to love her if she wants to become immortal and get into heaven. All right. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with yeah, you Yeah, and the that. director is like, of this film is like, fuck that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's oh. terrible. And so she wanted to do a slightly feminist leaning where the eternal soul part, right? Silver's motivation to become eternal and get into some sort of afterlife is not a part of this narrative. She is solely focused on getting down mm. with this boy. Right. She just likes him. She just wants to do stuff mm -hmm. with him and she's kind of getting feelings. So this film is really going to explore that first crush stage of mm -hmm pubescent development and it's gonna leave the heaven stuff out of it which i respect that's fair yeah i do remember seeing a little bit about how the director said she didn't want to create mermaids that were inferior to humans it wasn't about that yeah but these mermaids are way more badass than humans they have these crazy sharp teeth they have multiple languages and sounds that they can make with their throat mm -hmm. they're telepathic their voices lure you in with their song they're really good singers as we're about to find out yeah nightclub scene gotta get to our nightclub scene gonna get a an act going but not before the owner of the club gives everyone a good knee to the ass right before they go on stage oh yeah i meant to look up if that was a polish custom because it seemed like it must be i ah, yeah yeah i don't know we're just <laughs> a weird dude <laughs> but the girls are now nightclub singers, flight attendant, mermaid strippers. Oh, all right. That old trope, you know, it's like, ah, it's a little cliche, but hey, the classics are classics for a reason. Yeah. So, yeah, they have this little like whole nightclub performance and it is gorgeous and captivating mm -hmm. in a weird, whimsical way. Mm -hmm. They start out in these little flight attendant suits and they sing their little song. They somehow end up in a giant martini glass of water so that their tails manifest. And then they're just bopping along yeah. in their martini glass with their little flight attendant caps. The matriarch of this river folk family is the front headline singer of this trio that's actually singing. But we get the sense that these girls, their voices are a lure, that mm -hmm. they are like a siren song that calls to people and captivates them, including boy band White Tie, who- That fucking bass player. Is oh just God. lured in by Silver and kisses her in front of everybody while she's lounging in that martini glass. I love that the audience, upon seeing these girls strip and turn into mermaids, are just impressed. Like, wow, that was awesome. 
Good job, as opposed to, holy shit, mermaids are a thing. All the things that I understand about this world are put into question now. My god, mermaids. Now it's just, oh, a badass. Nice number. Or it just could be that somehow mermaid folklore is a naturalized part of this environment, that there's a certain sort of magical realism understanding that mermaids tend to frequent or be around. Because the nightclub attendant will also at some point ask the girls how they learn to speak Polish, and they will explain that it is on the beaches of some neighboring town. Mm -hmm. And so they've interacted with humans before. It seems that they pop up and converse Mm -hmm. quite frequently with things or I don't know. So it might just be that mermaids are a local type of folklore that a lot of the locals believe in. Mm. Eh, could be that. But after that delightful little number of flight attendants stripping, hopping into martini glass, turning into mermaids, all a good time. Afterwards, Golden is hanging out in the bathroom and is watching this strange display of it's this odd rotating picture frame where there's two pictures that are just pasted together and they're rotating around and it's a picture of a beach. One picture is the date is daytime, morning, dusk, whatever. And then the other is the evening, afternoon, somewhere in there. So, you know, blue, oranges, blue, orange, blue, orange, rotating. And this captivates her. I guess she's already nostalgic for the sea. Wanting to get back into the ocean or getting back into the water. Yeah, it stands out in this bathroom because this bathroom, it's not the most updated, clean space. And yet they have what seems to be a pristine white flat screen television, which, reminder, this is the 1980s. So it's not a flat screen television unless that's part of the alternate reality of this 1980s yeah. space is that they have these digital frames. And the Paradise Island picture of the sea looks very strange and out of place with the decor, but it's really there so that Golden can just stare longingly at the sea. She is homesick. She wants to be back in the water. And she'll look down for a second from this beautiful seascape picture to the toilet, and that's like the water that's around her right now, where it's like, um, this is what I have right now is this <laughs> one piece of... The water that's been filtered through these sewage pipes and is just a toilet. And that's, that's making me feel homesick for, like, this actual beautiful paradise. And so she's going to sing a song mm -hmm. about feeling lonesome and also getting cravings at night. And we think she means sex, but she really means that she wants to eat people. Oh. And that's fun. Mm -hmm. But it does seem... For a second, like a very empathetic song about just loneliness and wanting to connect. But no, she just wants to consume. But one of the translations of the refrain is, we're all gloomy as hell. Uh, and I'm like, word. It's such a strange phrase, but it also kind of works. <laughs> we're all gloomy as hell. I'm like, is, is hell gloomy? I don't know. But it sounds even cooler in Polish. Yeah, it probably does, yeah. but I also just haven't heard the word gloomy in a while, and That's I appreciated true. it. You don't hear that, yeah. We're all gloomy. Mm, wild. So she's going to take a bath, because- As you do. She needs to get back into her mermaid self, reconnect with her mermaid self. She bears her teeth. This yeah. is where we really start to learn that these teeth are 
substantial. These are scary Nosferatu vampire teeth that they have. And she is in the mood to chow. So she is going to go back to the nightclub, hit on a patron, take him back to the seashore where we first saw these girls come aboard. She'll make out with him a little bit, and then she will bite clean through his larynx and drag the pieces of his body into the sea <laughs> to eat a little snack. Well, it's got fun. She was hungry. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, whoa. So you may wonder, where in The Little Mermaid did mermaids like to eat people? They didn't, unfortunately. This is not a common mermaid thing in popular culture. It's a little bit closer to the Greek lore of sirens because sirens mm -hmm. did have a tendency to sing songs and lure men to their doom. But even still, they weren't cannibalistic or i guess it's not really cannibalism if you're a mermaid as a it's just carnivorous so they weren't necessarily as aggressively carnivorous on human flesh this mm -hmm. is just a fun little thing that the director really wanted to build up as a feminist piece of coming of age vengeance and thirst it reminded me a lot of ginger snaps and jennifer's body this idea <laughs> of female sexual agency coming into its own and wanting to consume right back the way that they otherwise would have been consumed by the society around them. Well, I certainly hope that after this movie, that's just a normal part of mermaid lore for going forward in pop culture, that mermaids, they want to eat people too. That's a thing. Yeah, it is super badass. I like it as an addition to the lore. I also like the fact that she's going straight for the larynx and she ha she'll have a habit of doing that. And there is a lot in mermaid lore with the idea of the voice, that the voice is what has power, whether it's just to enchant or whether it's like the Little Mermaid specifically who has the most beautiful voice under the sea. And so it's so charming and captivating that the sea witch even wants it. So the voice in mermaid lore holds a lot of power. And so the idea that our mermaid characters here would attack that power source first is really cool. Mm. That is true. Now, while this is going on, Silver is looking around for Golden. You know, she's lonely. They both get pretty lonely. They're very close to each other. And she sees a sex act happening. She sees the keytarist matriarch through yes. a keyhole, apparently performing oral sex on somebody. And this just blows her mind. Because genitals. Uh, you, she doesn't have those genitals. That, okay, but. so I did see what you did there. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. That, that, that just, you know, man, it just happens for me. <laughs> I I just, it doesn't happen naturally. Just, I, I pluck the gold out of the air and there it is. What can I say? It's, so uh, these are genitals she hasn't seen before. And she's like, true. this is what people do with genitals. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And then she runs into some sort of night receptionist who's smoking because we're getting a little bit more of the scope of this space that does look like it might be some sort of socialist rec center. That has the pool and the sauna and maybe the nightclub and maybe a those hotel. Were a who knows? Thing in, in socialist architecture. So there's this night receptionist who's just chain smoking and corrupts Silver by offering her her first cigarette. Once again, we're getting more of this voice stuff because the smoker will tell her you got to be careful with cigarettes because they'll fuck up your voice. The receptionist has a super deep voice too. Well, it's very distorted, mm -hmm. and it's becoming more and more distorted as she speaks. Mm -hmm. So it seems like it's a very on-purpose choice sure, to sure. show that 
this is a strange thing that happens to your voice, but there is something a little bit reverberating and echoing in a way that when we see other sea creatures later, they're going to have that same reverberation and space that doesn't quite naturally fit the environment. So I'm wondering here if this is a low-key hint that she also might be one of the sea people that have come to the human land, like we're going to get with Triton and some other people later, that she is here and she actually did ruin her voice through these very mortal vices of smoking mm. and drinking and drugs. Yeah. So that's my headcanon is that this woman is another one of the sea creatures okay. that has been a little washed up by human society. All right. All right. I'll allow it. That's true. But she's looking for her sister and can't find her. So what are you going to do? Eventually, she does run into boy band White Tie. Oh, uh, this fucking bass player. I swear to God. And she's like, hey, I just saw this oral sex act and I kind of want to try that. So I'm going to take off all my clothes right now and give you a flirty little look and crawl into the tub so that my tail will grow. Mm -hmm. And then all spread out with her tail flopping over the side of the bathtub is when she says, he can put it in. And he pauses for a second like he's contemplating it. And uh. this is the part that I mentioned where I was like, the actual physics of this, mm -hmm. like how he's going to position his body in relativity to the slit. Like, I just don't exactly see that going super well. But I really am wanting him to try. I'm sitting here going, like, I really hope that this is where the scene is going. But unfortunately, he doesn't try to consummate this attraction instead he tells her look girl i can't love you because you'll always be a fish to me an animal do you understand and she's like well, i mean yeah you'll always be a bass maybe? player to me so yeah, yeah like come on dude he's like so as much as i might want to i can't i'm like ah oh, so you're saying there's a chance like you're you're kind of vibing it you just for some reason are getting held up on the the whole fish parts thing but she peels off a scale from her tail, and it looks like it hurts, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's an effort. It's like pulling one of your fingernails. And so she is already starting to cause pain to her body and sacrifice for this guy to give something to her in return, because she holds it up, and she says, you'll be the first four-handed bass player. And I'm thinking, like, these mermaids have some witchy magic. I'm expecting him in the next scene to actually physically have four hands. That's not going to happen. He's just apparently going to become good, because... Mermaid scales grant wishes. I, I guess, guess. I, I figured she's like giving him this is going to be your new guitar pick for when you play bass because that's all that you can do and you'll be better at it. And he's not because he plays bass. But she's like, here's a piece of me and I, I need you to kiss me in return. And so he leans forward to do it and then he leans even more forward. And then it's a whole underwater makeout yeah. sesh in the bathtub. Going, really going for it there. Yeah. So I'm like, th these are some mixed signals, my dude. Like you just told her that she's a fish and he can't. Now we're we're getting down. So he's a fickle lad, mm -hmm. really. Also, what are these negative feelings you have towards bass players? Do we need to <laughs> examine this? You they, have a lot of feelings here that confuse me. I don't actually have any feelings about bass players, but ba bass players are always the butt of all jokes in just, you know small band groups or whatever, because the ratio of skill to output for a bass player is very low. There obviously can be a lot of skill 
put into playing bass. Uh, bands like Primus from the 90s are a great example of that because the bass player for that thing was out of this world. But most of the time in bands that have lead guitar, bass player, drummer, the bass player really just needs to go do 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 it's that it's very simple playing. I could play bass without very much effort. So I mean I don't know that I can't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. My headcanon is now that Benji tried to be in a hipster garage <laughs> band in the early 2000s and wanted to be a bassist and nobody would let him play with them. That's my headcanon now. Taking that secret to my grave. That's the only explanation for this <laughs> acrimonious <laughs> attitude. All right. So, yeah. Bass players out there, keep doing your thing. You're important to the band. Don't listen to Benji. Yeah, come at me, bass players. Let's see. What happens next? <laughs> what even is going on in this this movie? Uh, they are coming back to see the family and everyone at the nightclub, and they are drenched, soaking wet. And well, everyone's just like, oh, okay, that's cool, whatever. Yeah, they kind of tease him a little bit. Like, next we know you'll be a fish too or whatever. So it's kind of like the, oh, you're pussy whipped, bro. But on the mermaid tail side of, are you going over to their side? So they're super chill with the fact that they just hooked up in a bathtub. But I mean, as much as the mermaid possibly can at that point in time. But they're also, they're teasing him a little bit for it. Yeah. I think he's internalizing this a little bit. He's, he's shaming on it. Also, she does sing to him to get him to kiss her. And since mm-hmm. we have learned that these mermaids also operate kind of like Greek sirens where their voice is a lure, this might be a slightly dubious consent moment if she is hypnotizing I him know, into this activity. So I don't know. If a mermaid singing is the, you know, the mermaid Jedi mind trick or whatever. It almost seemed like that with Golden earlier and that guy that she met at the bar where it seems like she just stares at him a little bit. You hear some sounds and he's like, well, okay, I really need to leave this place with you and not be seen again ever because I'm about to die. Yeah, because at the beginning, this whole space is sort of these two mermaids playground where they do feel like they have the upper hand, especially Golden, who does not now or ever have any interest in curtailing any of herself or her attitudes or her behaviors to human society. So she's going to just continue to plow through this town. Whereas Silver, she's a little bit more our little mermaid, where Mm -hmm. she is for some reason in love with this idea of humanity. And so she is not quite as totally baller as her sister. Mm -hmm. But she's still using her siren lure powers to get what she wants. Yeah. Now, next we get my favorite musical piece of the movie, at least the most visually interesting one. The nightclub owner, he introduces the girls as the lure... Hey, that's the name of the show. So we finally got an explanation for why this is sold to the States as The Lure. There you go. And they're rocking some wild fucking outfits here. They got some fishnet stockings happening. They've got black sequin dresses. They have shoulder pads that have a weird chainmail look going on. They look like a cross of Pris from Blade Runner and someone from Mad Max. 
because they had the crisp eye makeup going, like that black streak across the mm-hmm. eyes, you know? Yeah, but, this is the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And this scene is wild. The background is bathed in green light. There's purple lights hitting them from the side. Green and purple are kind of complements of one another on the color wheel. There's also these white light streaks going around from disco balls everywhere. And they're singing and moving in slow motion. The crowd is all gathering around them in almost this orgy-esque fashion, reaching for them. It's crazy to think that They're performing a song, but the motion that we see is clearly slow motion. So that means on the set, they had to sing the song in chipmunk mode, just singing it super fast so that when it's slowed down later on, it looks like it's the correct speed. It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doable, but a challenge. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah, quite doable. And it's it's awesome. The effect's worth it because they look great. They start making out in this scene. Just why not? Yeah, once again. Oh, so that's how it is in that family. So great. Yeah. But also, who's this asshole with the fucking scars in his head? Okay, so meanwhile, there's been this this dude, this guy, who just keeps popping up out of the shadows. And it's kind of random the first time through where... There are these completely isolated shots of some guy who just looks really scary, got some weird scars in his head, he's smoking a cigarette, and you don't know what his spatial relationship is to anything else that's happening. It's just these strange cutaway shots of some scary-looking guy smoking a cigarette. I wouldn't say scary, necessarily. He looks like he might be a body modder and a member of different types of musical communities. He looks like a metal dude that is also into body modification. Although, I watched this the first time with a group of people, and... Two of us right away just honed in on the fact that two of these body modifications looked like where a body modder would have horns, but more like horns were removed. Mm. And so both of us immediately were like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a merman, a merman. We see merman. one, spotted one, probably Triton. <laughs> so we were prepped for this. But yeah, he kind of comes isolatedly out of nowhere. And now we finally get him introduced because he's hanging out at a bar, and he does, in fact, introduce himself as the Merman Triton Ah. to Golden. So Golden finds him at the bar, Mm -hmm. and he Mm -hmm. tells her, you are of my blood, which almost implies that he might be her father or some relational (laughs) capacity, because the way that he talks about his horns, that one was pulled out by a fisherman, and then the other he pulled out himself. And it almost seems, since this is drawing from a narrative in which the Sea King is the Little Mermaid's father, that now we have this Triton figure, so are you saying, like, this connection is still the same? And the way that there are these two horns that have been removed from his body as he's talking about you are of my blood, it almost seems like a possible in the way that a lot of mythology, particularly Greek mythology works, where a god will pull off a piece of themselves to create their offspring. Ah, And so that these two horns that he has sacrificed were what created silver and golden. There's a possible interpretation there. He also could just be another merman dude who you are of my blood because we're like the same sea folk and all sea folk are of the same blood when it comes to comparisons with these asshole humans that are walking around here and that 
hey, I had to sacrifice these parts of myself to fit into human society. That's also a perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. interpretation, too. But Also, it should be noted that like that receptionist that gave Silver a cigarette, this guy has a super deep voice as well. It, it sounds like it could have been modified or you know pitch shifted in post or whatever it's like yeah it's, it's not you're of my blood it's effects happening you're of my blood something like that except and you he know, also Polish. has this great growl in his throat <laughs> he does sound somewhat otherworldly which mm-hmm. yeah like that receptionist so these mermaids they're they're around they've infiltrated warsaw to some capacity and he does mention that there are more of them he's like hey so I've got a band. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the 1980s, and he looks like that. So, of course, he has a band. He has a mohawk, so he has a band. I have a band. Do you want to come be in my band? Golden's like, (laughs) pass. No, I don't want to be in your band, bro. You want to be in my band or whatever? He's important, though. So it's important to introduce him here and that he has a band. Meanwhile, Golden goes outside, and there's a woman waiting for her. Because Golden is not going to evade the police forever, because she has killed someone that... We can't get away from that. And the police are on to Golden. Yeah, well, so there's this woman, like, outside waiting Mm -hmm. for her. And she's like, hey, so I saw your set. And Golden's like, who are you? And the woman reveals, I'm a cop. And I know you killed that dude. Mm -hmm. So, well, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? The only thing that can be done about this. One, we're going to sing a song about it. Right. And two, we're going to find out halfway through that song that this song is a seduction song. And that... Instead of taking her into the station, the policewoman is going to take Golden back to her place and say the line that is actually kind of weirdly great, that we'll watch Paris burn together and the fire spread through Rome or in me. Like, (laughs) oh shit, they're going to fuck. Like, that was the line that comes up and is like, oh my God, they're going, because they're still in the car at that point. It's like, oh shit, we're going to have some lesbian mermaid sex. Mm -hmm. We do get some lesbian mermaid sex. They go back to that lady cop's apartment and they go at it and she or golden turns back into her full mermaid self Mm -hmm. to get busy with this policewoman who knows exactly what she is so this is another potential hint that the idea that mermaids might be around and a naturalized part of folklore might be something that the world is just comfortable with and knows in this alt-80s Poland because this policewoman also isn't surprised and she's prepped for it. Mm -hmm. She's like, we're going to do this. I'm going to lick up your tail over the scales and really get in there. Mm -hmm. And then when we do this, I am going to have to pull my gun on you and do this at gunpoint because... Your teeth are basically the same thing, right? So it's they're both on edge here mm-hmm. where they both have that loaded gun to each other's throat mm-hmm. as they're getting down. We do awesome. really get this woman, you know, making the effort that white tie bass player was not willing to make earlier in the film with Silver because this woman kind of straddles Golden's tail and lifts it up kind of pressing her crutch into the, the the tail gyna area, you know. Yeah, she's getting in there. I'm shipping it. I'm totally into these two. Yeah, it's it, she's making more effort than the bass player is my point, because he's a bass player for fuck's sake, you know. Because, yeah, he's, he's something. He's really just lured in, and that... Hey, that's the name of the show. And I'll get into the prince and his agency, lack of agency later. But right now, these lesbian mermaid interactions, like, I am 
Yeah, it's a good time, yeah. Also, her acceptance of her body does get reflected with Triton as well earlier, because he also is going to have some line where he likes the mermaid parts of her as well. He mentions, you've got a great tail and a great voice, come Mm -hmm. be in my band. So he -hmm. likes her for her mermaid bits too. It's Silver right now that's having the body acceptance issues. So cut immediately as their mid-mermaid media race, mermaid media sex race, I don't know, whatever. The Coitus interruptus mermaidus? Yeah, sure, that works too. (laughs) It doesn't work just as much, so we'll go with them both. (laughs) There are many ideas, and they're all wrong, so it's okay. Yeah, we're usually wrong. What are you going to do? Yeah, I know. The scene that we cut to... Yeah, we got we to gotta cut to this, because this is something. Our guitarist matriarch in a white room, close up on her face, panning down, and both of her surrogate daughters... Mermaid daughters, yeah. ...that we have here, golden and silver, are each latched onto one of her breasts. And the camera keeps going, and we get... The tales of all three of them, because now Kitarist Matriarch is a mermaid in this very fantastical space that we've never seen before. And that's because, cut to Kitarist, she also is having sex with the random patriarch dude of the River Folk group, who I don't have a name for because he really doesn't ever do anything interesting. They're having sex, and this is a fantasy that she currently has in her mind. And it's a super fun image of a fantasy so she really has these delusions yearnings and desires of this matriarchal role in or this maternal role in these two girls lives it's never gonna happen or come of anything she's sort of sexualizing this role she's wanting to be one of them but at the same time the guy that she's doing he smells a little fishy and she gets jealous and she yells at him and kicks him out of bed because if he's going to like fuck those fish whores or whatever, he should just go do that. And he's like, I just ate some herring. I didn't even do anything. But she's projecting her desire. Everybody's kind of desiring these mermaids. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's fucking them up. You know, this is their interior space. They've latched on and it's making everybody want things. Mm, I hate when the people want They don't things. know what to do with. That's, that's fun. Worst. Family is going to then watch the news. After everybody's gotten down with mm-hmm. the, the fucking, the fish fucking, they watch the news. Yeah. There's a detail in this scene I really like where you can see this poster of a younger version of our keyboardist matriarch on the wall. And there's also what appears to be a golden record next to it, which seems to suggest that the matriarch is kind of a fallen star of some sort. She had prime days. They're far behind her. And now... Her, her husband, and her shithead bass player kid have to play this nightclub. That's her life now. But it's an interesting element to this woman's story <laughs> that she may have once been on top and now not as much. She's got to deal with her husband fucking mermaids. Yeah, when she wants to be the one fucking those mermaids. I know, right? She's like, how dare you fuck those mermaids? I wanted to fuck those mermaids. But it's like, guys, group sex is the thing. Like, that is a possibility. Just embrace the possibility. God, the number of things that polyamory and orgies can solve. It's just mind-boggling at times. Orgies solve everything. That's the (laughs) takeaway. But... The lady cop is suddenly on the news, and she is reporting this beach death. And that's when everybody in the room suddenly understands, Golden's killed a guy. That body, it's right on the beach where we found, oh, 
<laughs> oh, and the sisters, they're going to have a fight about this because oh Silver, she really wants to be part of the human structure and she loves the humans and she doesn't want to rip their throats out for fun and sustenance. So they're going to have a fight. And it's once again, amazing sound mixing. It's like cats fighting and whales mating. <laughs> Slap. All right. Use your words, guys. Come on. Talk. They are using their words. These are mermaid words. Uh, well, use nicer words. And they're crouching. They're hurling each other around the room. And then they have this kind of nursery rhyme off where they just start sing-songing rhyming at each other. And everything is fine once they reach the height of this nursery rhyme. And this nursery rhyme, it's revealing a lot of stuff. It's showing that part of their childhood folklore included things like let me have a boyfriend who's not an amphibian and let's walk on high-heeled shoes on the sea. So their folklore is actually very anthropomorphic that they want to become human in this kind of kid sing-songy way. So it's a fun, weird choice in the mm -hmm. wording there. And that's what Silver's trying to do. She's trying to get a pair of legs and she's trying to fuck a non-amphibious boyfriend. This is something she's wanted since she was a child. This is her dream. Okay goals but she doesn't get that dream because they smile at each other for a second being like okay i get it like this is a childhood thing like i'm gonna let you do you and then patriarch dude comes into the room and just punches them both double punch square in the face to both of them and both of them just go down that's and weird for some reason yeah it's really weird because it's like that is not a kill shot and especially if you're double teaming them like that but whatever they go down and the Riverfolk family thinks, okay, oops, so we killed some mermaid women. I gotta fetch a rug, right? That's the only thing to do. They had to fetch a rug and dump these bodies over the side of the <laughs> bridge back into the river. We get a body dumping scene. The crowded urban area. Good job. You guys have clearly never disposed of bodies correctly. Also, remember how when they were crumpled on the floor before and you threw them in the pool and they were fine? Like, why are we throwing them in the river? Because that's how you resurrect mermaids, clearly. So we know they're going to be back. We're not concerned. But what happens in the interim is a very strange scene that remains the most inexplicable scene to me. Because they come back and they're engaged with this, like, family feud fight. And that I get because they just disposed of some young girls' bodies. Tensions so are high. Emotions, yeah, emotions are high, and I get that. But then they seem to all mysteriously overdose and die in different parts of the house. Because we hear the sound of a phone ringing and a woman picking up. And then the woman shows up at their apartment. A woman we have not seen prior comes in with IVs singing a song about poison in their veins and resurrects them. And it's a really cool shot scene. It's super <laughs> surrealist. They're all stirring back to life as they're joining into the song. It's a very creepy minor key discordant song. I'm really digging the song here. As they all gasp back to life, I'm like, who is this woman? How does she have resurrection IV powers? And why did she need them? How did these people We don't see them die? taking anything. They just appear to have OD'd on substance. Yeah, so are they going through mermaid withdrawals? Or did they all feel really guilty about the murder? And so they all just committed some sort of mass suicide? 
We get no answers. And what's even more confusing is that watching the deleted scenes makes this moment even more confusing to me. Because in the extended deleted scene, the sisters are there in this scene. They're in the kitchen. Oh, wow. Weird. And one of them is combing her sister's hair with the fork. So that's where we get this little fork moment oh. that is not in the Hans Christian Andersen story. That's actually from the Disney cartoons. Yeah. We're actually getting that. Which is good they cut that because... To have just that one reference to the Disney cartoon would be a little strange for this film. Well, Triton's there, too, and Triton isn't named in the oh, really? short story oh, either. Okay. He's just like the Sea King or something. Huh. So we're getting a little bit of bleed over, but mm. it is weird that these girls are in this scene, and they're the ones who call this mysterious woman to come to the scene, and this woman shows up and yells at them, saying... I don't exist just to cater to mermaid whores or something of that nature. And then she resurrects these people. So it almost implies that the mermaids had something to do with causing this state. But they're not bloody. They're not bitten. And there's nothing else that we've seen established that the mermaids do to render people into an OD'd state. I also don't know when this scene initially fit into the movie because it clearly wasn't after their body disposed of Nis because they're still in the apartment for this yeah. scene. So I don't know how the scene is supposed to fit in and watching the deleted scenes confuse me even more. It's like okay. the one chunk of the movie that I have no explanation for. <laughs> so if anybody does, please <laughs> let me know what it is because it's bugging me. Usually I can find some bullshit reason, mm -hmm. even if it's just in my mind that makes sense, but I, I can't do it with this. Well, after the family is brought back to life, they go I guess, back to work at the club. And the sisters, obviously, they survived being dumped in the water because... Mermaids. Mermaids. They have a moment where they walk through the street barefoot in the rain. Yeah, and they stay human. Their fish parts don't come back in the rain. I don't know why. They're not abiding by their own rules, but whatever. They show back up at the club. And the family is like, oh, so, yeah, we thought you were dead. This is super awkward. The dad says to Golden, oh, are, are, are we cool? Is it weird? Are, are we okay? Patriarch is like, I would like to apologize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I bet you would, buddy. Yeah. I bet you would. And Golden says, I'm not mad. But she is mad because she bites off his thumb <laughs> and smiles. And this is where we can see in the background that... Boy band white tie, he is, he's not really feeling what's happening right now. He's a little revolted. And so it's understandable maybe that this guy who has now seen this chick die, disposed of her body, and now sees mm -hmm. them bite through his father's hand, like might, might be a little bit of a boner killer for yeah. some. Not for everybody, but for some. That mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is just not really his scene. So... Yeah, we, we see the scene starting to unravel. But Silver, she is still on plan human. So really she committed goes to, a bar. to human motion, as it were. She's, yeah, at the bar, and she reveals that she's going to get real legs and a pussy very soon. Yeah, and she's revealing this to, like, a stranger at the bar. We haven't seen this guy before. And she offers him her fishtail. Mm -hmm. She's like, do you want my fishtail? Because I'm going to have real girl parts soon and i know you want a fishtail it's like why would i want a fishtail uh, uh, i know you want a fishtail but who is on. this guy does she know this guy is she just randomly offering a stranger 
her severed body parts because, once again, I support that, but also amazingly weird choice mm-hmm. to just go to some dude at the bar and be like, hey, you want my leg? Because I'm going to get it removed tomorrow. And I think you'd really like having it. Yeah, that's true. Just a thought. But we finally get to see what Triton does. Triton, he's a singer, has his awesome concert venue uh, place with other really punkish looking possible other sea creatures. Hard to tell. Well, they do say it's all a punk band of sea creatures. So this is a mermaid punk band and he has invited Golden to join him and join his little punk, sea punk space mm-hmm. or safe haven, I guess. I- mermaid core safe haven something of that nature it's a pretty cool little like scene she rocks out she's got a lot of anger she's an outsider so she's really connecting with this punk movement she finds the closest thing to home there she's seeming to fit in cut to a mermaid fishnet photo shoot that is glorious because they have fishnet tights on these tails yeah and they they brought in a german photographer you got you know this guy is german because he says very german things like sehr gut Das ist das. Achtung. I, I get the feeling this was written by someone who knew a little German, but they didn't have an actual German actor on set for that. But what are you going to do? What I like, the photography nerd in me loves this guy is using a Hasselblad 500CM, which, goddamn, those were sexy cameras. They were the medium format cameras, so the negatives were a lot bigger, so you could print your pictures way larger before like got grainy looking and they were cameras used by guys like helmet newton robert maplethorpe was a big fan of this camera i've always wanted to be able to use one of the things but renting them god most rental houses will make you put down a 1500 hundred dollar deposit on those things before you can even get them mailed out to you so Mm -hmm. this photo shoot is super hot it's working (laughs) for me it's got the mermaid fishnet sparkle stuff on the lower half and then girl in the middle and then bunny ears on the top so it's a turducken situation but the playmate mansion edition bunny girl playmate grotto edition i don't know but they are having a conversation silver and golden are talking telepathically while they are posing for this photo shoot because silver She is still hell-bent on cutting off her fish parts. Golden's like, that's a bad idea. You'll lose your voice. Silver doesn't believe her. She thinks that's just superstitious nonsense. And if Golden doesn't let her do this, then Golden will never see her again. So she's she's kind of a bitch, actually. (laughs) She's just coordinating her presence over her sister. Like, if you want to continue having me in your life, Mm -hmm. then you cannot say another thing about the fact that I wanted to cut my body in half. Deal? Deal. Well, she does it. She cuts her body in half, and this scene really raises some questions. Because, yeah, she gets in the operating table, and there's another woman next to her, and on, on another bed of ice. They're both on beds of ice in the operating room, and there's a woman who already has her lower half cut off. Like, um, yeah. that... Okay, so we killed someone for the sake of getting their lower half, but no, she's still alive. It's okay. It's fine. Don't worry yeah. about it. We've talked about this, Benji. This is how science works. Silver is singing a song, and the, my favorite line of the song is, Time flows like sweat off of a midwife's brow. Again, I'm sure that sounds way better in Polish. Who knows? Yeah. But as she is singing, the blade comes down. Well, not the blade, the rotary saw comes down 
on her middle to cut off the tail. And as soon as the cut starts to happen, the singing stops because, uh-oh, Silver's voice is gone. Yeah, they're using a bone saw. You really actually want to cut through the flesh before you use those little bone saw rotary apparatuses because those are actually designed specifically to not cut flesh very well as a safety precaution. Pro tip, folks. Pro tip right there. You heard it. That's what people come to us for. Those pro tips. Yeah. My forensic anthropologist residency, I did have to cut into a lot of bodies. I've used those things a lot. But we won't say more disturbing stuff about me right now. We'll say disturbing stuff about this scene. So this scene, the over like master shot that we get is great because it's from directly above. And we're looking down and we're looking down at these two slabs of ice. There are Mm -hmm. little chips of ice around these women which is very much like you would find at a fish market if you were to go and buy your fish from the grocery store, generally in those kind of shaved ice situations. So we have our fish on ice. She is conscious. Both of these women are conscious. One already sawed in half, like some sort of magician cut the girl in half thing, but super grisly because we're seeing all of the Mm -hmm. interior. There's space between her torso and her lower (laughs) half. Meanwhile, yeah, little Silver singing her little song and the saw comes down, starts to cut through her very center. And midway through that cut, as her spinal cord is severed, so is her voice. It wasn't a superstition after all. She Mm. lost her ability to sing and speak. The science checks out. So Little Mermaid stuff, because this is actually a very big Little Mermaid source material moment. Okay. Last time on... The Little Mermaid. Last time on The Little Mermaid lore. Yes, we learned that her grandmother had told her, you're going to have to find a dude who loves you if you want an eternal soul. Mm. So the Little Mermaid, she wants to be human so badly that she goes and visits the sea witch. So it's not Ursula in the short story, it's just the sea witch for a potion. And the sea witch tells her, fine, but in exchange, you need to give me your voice. Because it's such a pretty voice, and I want it. Because I like pretty things. I like cultivating things. Mm -hmm. Also, by the way, consuming this potion will make it feel like a sword is being passed through your body. Oh. So. Didn't get that in the cartoon. What is happening here is we have a medical sword that is passing directly through Silver's body. So Uh. this is actually taking directly from that, this idea that the potion, this magical thing that is going to help give her legs instead of a fin it's gonna be painful it's gonna be gruesome and when she recovers she will have two human legs and will be able to dance like no human has ever danced before like what up og title daughters of dancing that that is something that the little mermaid gains when she loses her voice she gains her legs and the ability to dance Mm in a captivating way. So that is what she has to work with instead now is her captivating dance. Mm-hmm. There's another slight snag though. Oh. Because there always even is though these things. she will dance beautifully like no one has ever seen, she will constantly feel as if she is walking on sharp knives and glass. Ow. Shit. Yeah. Also, she'll only obtain a soul if she wins the love of the prince and marries him and gains, you know, the part of his soul. Otherwise, at dawn on the first day, after he marries someone else, the Little Mermaid will die with a broken heart and dissolve into sea foam upon the waves. Ah, So no pressure. This is just how that's going to go. But the direct quote here, in case we want it, is the sea witch tells her, 
I shall make a drink for you, and with it you must swim to the land before the sun rises. Put yourself on the beach there and drink it up. Then your tail will part and open into what men call pretty legs, (laughs) but it'll hurt. It'll be like a sharp sword going through you. Everybody that sees you will say you are the prettiest human child they ever saw. You'll keep your swimming gait, and no dancer will be able to float along like you. But every step you take will be as if you were treading on a sharp knife, so that you would think your blood must gush out. If you can bear all that, I will do as you wish. So, we are setting up this idea that Silver, she's going to have to make a sacrifice. Mm. She has to remove an entire half of her body and be in exquisite pain for the rest of her life and not be able to have any sort of voice so that she can maybe hopefully achieve the love of this dude. Uh, There's a statement. But that's what Silver's uh, doing here. Silver is taking that sword through her center to magically somehow obtain this pair of legs. And she, in the next scene we will see, is slowly and painfully relearning how to move and walk. That she has this giant surgical scar all the way through her torso, Mm -hmm. that she's in a wheelchair, later she has crutches, that this is something that is greatly changing the relationship that she has with mobility and her body. And she's doing it because she wants to have sex with boy band white tie. The fucking side note. They do just swap the lower half. Like they put the tail back on the other woman who is still conscious. What happens to her? Is she a mermaid now? How does that work? Yeah, I want to know. Because she's still biologically human, right? Just with a mermaid tail. So is she now just a woman that has a mermaid tail? And and how did they convince this woman to donate her legs? We don't know. We never learned that. And that's not a part of the original source material that this other person had to so, sacrifice their life to do it. So I don't know how this is Definitely here, wasn't in the Disney cartoon. So yeah, no clue. Still a wonderfully gross visual, though. It's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Though what you mentioned earlier about what a mermaid's belly button actually is, now that Silver has a lower human half with all the digestive elements that come with that yeah that introduces some problems i imagine well i guess it depends on if the surgical incision was maybe above the belly button oh okay so maybe she also now has the human belly button situation all right or maybe she just has excrement hole options i mean she's a versatile gal options aren't bad that's fine but what she can also do now is now she has a vagina and that hole can be used for all sorts of things, including finally fucking boy band white tie. Oh, boy. He's really excited when he sees her legs and her stitched together torso. Mm-hmm. And they start like, trying hey, to get it I can it stick on. my dick in that. All right. Great. Yeah. Except for then he notices that her surgical wound, it's bleeding and it's getting blood all over him. Well... I mean, she was just on the table. It's going to happen. Come on now. Yeah, it's like, this is maybe not full. I was like, you really should have some gauze on that, some bandages. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Just open wounding this way. But yeah, her surgical scars bleed, and women who bleed during sex are gross, so he bounces. Okay, look, you basic bass playing little bitch. Get used to it. It happens sometimes. You lay down some towels, and you get on with it. So yeah, he can't, he can't get on with it. It's 
So even now that she has a human body, there are still parts of the human body that gross him out and that he's rejecting. So she just can't win, right? Because this is just how dudes are in her world. These are the dudes that she's encountering. Man, I hope this guy meets a foul end. So he's going to find somebody else. But this also overlays with the Little Mermaid story where after she drinks the liquid, it does indeed feel like a sword piercing through her body. She passes out on the shore naked. She's found by the prince who is memorized by her beauty and grace, even though she can't talk to him. And then he sees her dance and she dances for him all the time, despite suffering excruciating pain with every step. And so soon she becomes the prince's favorite little companion because she's pretty and she dances, but he never falls in love with her and never gives any inclination Uh, that he is falling in love with her. God damn it. We get that a little bit here, too, with these guys that she's putting in all of these motions. She's putting in these sacrifices. It's a little bit more effective in this allure movie than it is in the short story, because with this movie, we do see that he has participated in a relationship up until this point. He seems to be slightly complicit in wanting her to swap out her legs. He goes with her to the surgeon and lays down the money with her, whereas the prince in the Little Mermaid story... He kind of gets a bit of a bad rap for being this unworthy asshole, but really, he had never met her before, Mm -hmm. like, prior to. She does save his life once when he's unconscious and, like, almost drowns. She does save him, but he is unconscious for that So in the short story, so he doesn't know that. So as far as the prince is concerned, he's never met this chick before. He's just not into her, right? Just because she made this grandiose sacrificial gesture and then comes aboard and is like, hey, I need you to love me. He's under no obligation to reciprocate that. that. Is like, he never much, made any yeah. sort of verbal promise. He doesn't know this chick. So a lot of the times that I see people talk about The Little Mermaid, they're like, God, this asshole prince that just won't love her back. Like Sometimes you're just not into people. You know, it's not his fault. And what's the time frame that The Little Mermaid has to work with to get the prince to love her? Is there a shortened uh, amount It's of- like a fairy tale timeline. So, you know, ambiguous, but pretty short. It's, okay, yeah. You know, a couple days or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not long. It's probably not enough time to get a guy to love you just by dancing really good around him, so... Yeah. yeah, I was like, this this one's not on the prince, mm-hmm. girl. You probably should have checked with him before you cut off her legs. But yeah, this uh, this chick had checked with this dude. This dude went with her to cut off her legs. <laughs> so it is kind of a dick move that he's like, oh, no, I can't handle this. Instead, he finds someone else. He kisses her and Ugh. drops Silver's scale down the drain. He takes it out of his pocket and he drops it down that drain. Jeez. And we see it gets sucked into yeah. the sewers. And Silver pops right up out of bed in her sleep. She's awoken from her slumber because she knows something's up. She Mm -hmm. knows that the last part of her that had been a mermaid that remained is now flushed away and gone. Jesus. Yeah. (sighs) Heavy stuff. Let me put a hypothetical to you here. This is obviously not the case, but how wild would it have been if the guy that White Tie bass player had hooked up with was the leg donor from earlier? I was actually really hoping that that was going to be the case. Exactly, right? she almost had that vibe for a second. I was like, oh shit, like she shows up in the record studio and she has a little something going on in her eyes and I was like, oh my God, are you the new mermaid? Like, does this guy just have this serial falling for, like the serial fetish for mermaids? Like he thinks he doesn't want a mermaid. That would have been an interesting complex moral where it's like, yeah, I forced you to change yourself to fit to my 
standard of normality and anti-deviance. But this is really actually what I'm into. So I'm going to go with this other mermaid who still has her tail. Yeah, not the case, unfortunately. Too bad. No, she's just some other woman who he falls for really quickly and really quickly wants to get married. And at the wedding, we see the inspiration for this entire story. The Ronska sisters playing at the wedding. Good place for a cameo. I dig it. So they have the celebratory wedding on a boat on the water. Uh-huh. This seems like an extra dick move, symbolically speaking, <laughs> to leave your once and former mermaid girlfriend who is now just in excruciating pain with somebody else's legs to go celebrate atop her home world of the sea as he marries this other woman. Side note, that actually is also what happens in the Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid. The prince does marry someone else on a boat on the water. Jesus Christ, man. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I know he doesn't know, but fuck. They didn't need to do that. Yeah. Everybody is at this wedding, too. Golden's there. Silver's there. The Riverfolk family is there. The random woman with the IV that nursed them back to health oh, yeah. is there. Mm-hmm. Triton is there, grilling up some sausages, because <laughs> that's the thing he does. I mean, I thought they were fish fillets myself, but it could go either way. Yeah, and no, I don't think he's eaten his own kind. I think he's eaten some sausage, because uh, these guys I, I are see. carnivores. They're some meat lovers. Also, they just were shaped like sausage links. And okay. it's Poland, so like Poland has great sausage. Goddamn, yeah. He tells Golden, here's the deal. You got to ice that bitch, because we decided on last week's episode that we had to start using... Oh, no, we decided on the rubber episode that we need to start using ice more. Uh, Ice the bloody thing, yeah. Slang term. So you got to ice that bitch, or else she'll turn into sea foam. Yeah. And, hey, like, you guys, you're not human. You're just tourists here. Like, you need to embrace the fact that you're mermaid. But she's not anymore. That's the whole thing. She lost that tail, so she can't really go back to the sea either. Mm -hmm. So I don't... Yeah, Silver is so heartbreaking to see at this point, too, because she really has no voice. She can only whisper things now, and she can barely walk. Heartbreaking to see. Yeah, and they're like, you, you gotta kill him, or mm-hmm. else you're gonna turn into sea foam. That's just the way it is. Silver goes up to her once beloved on the deck of his marriage boat and starts dancing with him. Mm-hmm. Boy band White Tie just has this look on his face like I I probably should just let this happen give her yeah. one last dance or dance. whatever yeah golden's watching and she's watching silver kind of saying all right all right you need to come on go ahead and do it and silver's she's got the fangs her teeth are sharp and ready to go but but she can't do it she, can't she just can't do, do it cuz she just loves him you know, you know what are you going to do a tear runs down her face and she seems to resign peacefully to her fate and just leans her head into him as they peacefully dance. The sun comes up, and in an awesome transition, they're dancing, moving slowly around, and one moment, Silver is in his arms, he turns a little bit more, and the next moment, he's covered in foam. Yeah, and the great thing is is that you don't need a ton of special effects work to do this it's very simple and yet it's very cool and effective Mm -hmm. so he has her in his arms he turns slightly out of frame or he turns and we get his back Mm -hmm. to us so that her face disappears for the frame for long enough for them to just then match the film reel of 
him continuing to turn around and his front is just covered in yeah. soapy foam. The camera is very close in his back, so it's easy to match cut that when you when you frame things like that. Yeah, know? super simple. And it's just, it's very effective. It's very great. It's very haunting. He is confused because nobody informed him about this whole her turning into foam thing. Yeah. So he's like, the fuck? Like, what is all over me? Where did Silver go? Look, guys, I get mermaids. I get the whole swimming thing. But uh, sea foam, that seems too much. I don't get this at all. I think if you were hugging a chick and then all of a sudden you look down and you were just covered in foam, that would be a confusing moment. Mm-hmm. Eh, fair. That's fair like nobody's ever told him about the mermaid end of turning into sea foam. That's well, it's not even common knowledge, mostly among like mermaid lore. This guy doesn't really have time to find out, though. Yeah, because Golden's like, okay, fuck this shit. She bounces on him, rips out his larynx, and covered in blood and completely anguished with her loss, jumps into the sea. She's like, fuck humanity. I'm going back into the sea. As they say at the end of a, a French film's Finn. Uh, it just never stops. Yeah, we get an elongated, <laughs> like, minute-long scene of just underwater. Nothing underwater, yeah. just underwater. So the emptiness down there, I suppose. The broken family, broken mm. sisters. So the Little Mermaid. Back to Hans Christian Andersen. How does that end? Last time on The Little Mermaid. Last time on The Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid had been dancing around on those glass and knives, and her prince had married somebody else anyway. They celebrate their new marriage on a wedding ship, and Little Mermaid's heart, it breaks. And she thinks for a moment on all that she's sacrificed, and all the pain she's endured for the prince, all the sacrifices that people will make out of this idea of what you need to do for your lover, how you need to change yourself. She despairs, thinking of the death that awaits her. But then, right before dawn, her sisters arise out of the water. And they don't have any hair. And they say, we went to the sea witch, and we worked out a deal. Take this dagger that the sea witch gave us in exchange for our hair. Because mm -hmm. sea witch likes to collect stuff. The Little Mermaid sisters gave their hair to the sea witch. The sea witch gave the sisters a dagger. I take it yeah, as. a special dagger that if Little Mermaid stabs the prince with it before dawn, then his blood will pour over her and her legs and create a new fin for her. And she can go back and live out her 300 years with her family and be a mermaid again. Okay. It's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, yeah. She goes to the prince's chambers and sees him sleeping there with his new wife. And as she raises the dagger, she realizes, can't do it. I just, I love him too much. I love people too much. Oh, man. She kisses him on the forehead and she wishes him and his new beloved in her mind the best, all the best. She, she's just such a good mermaid. And then she goes and jumps into the sea and turns into foam. Mm. But then oh. something weird happens. Twist. Because there's some weird religious propaganda shit going on here. The little oh. mermaid is rewarded for her act of goodness in sparing the human's life by finding that she is turned into a luminous and ethereal earthbound spirit, also known as a daughter of the air. And these daughters of the air, they, they like to dance. They are wind that dances. So once again, we're getting into that dancing or daughters of dancing title again. As this little mermaid ascends into the atmosphere, she's greeted by all of these other daughters of the air 
who tell her that she became like them because her heart is good and she strove to obtain an immortal soul. And because of the selflessness, she's given the chance to own her own soul by doing good deeds for mankind for 300 years. And if she does that, one day she will rise up to heaven. Huh. All right. I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, right? I, just, I think most people don't because <laughs> especially when even you remember the Hans Christian Anderson story, you're like, wait, this is how it ends? Yes. And I think this is also maybe why Disney kind of went with the name Ariel, even though Ariel actually has nothing to do with the air. It means son or lion of God. It's actually a male name from the Old Testament that oh. then gets like turned into a female name around the 1980s. It's weird that the original ending seems more far-fetched than the Disney ending does. Yeah, Disney's like, we can't do this. Like, even we just can't do this. <laughs> and the super disturbing ending lines of this. So, when 300 years are over, we shall float into the heavenly kingdom, and we may reach it yet sooner, whispered one of them. Unseen, we float into the homes of men, where children are, and for every day on which we find a good child that makes its parents happy and earns their love, God shortens our time of trial. The child does not know it when we are flying through the room, and when we smile on it in happiness, a year is taken from the three hundred. But if we see a perverse and evil child, we have to weep in sorrow, and every tear we shed adds a day to our time of trial. <laughs> so, I feel like, did Han Christian Anderson have really shitty children? Is this what's I going on here? I don't think he had any children. I can't remember what his like children status was. Although... Hilarious side note, when I was in Copenhagen, I remember that there was a Hans Christian Andersen tour that just oh. cracked me up because there are these white stenciled footprints around the city that you can follow and it takes you to little plaques, some of them totally relevant to Hans Christian Andersen's life. Like this is the apartment that he first lived in in X, Y, and Z, but some are amazingly tertiary. My favorite one that I do remember was and this is the so-and-so bridge, which Hans Christian Andersen might have enjoyed had he still been alive at the time of its construction. It, what? It... <laughs> and I was like, we're, we're reaching a little far here, Copenhagen. Over there is the Starbucks where Hans Christian Andersen might have gone had he been Would alive. Would drank his daily such... coffee had that been a thing in 1837. Yes. This bar over there is where he would have drowned his sorrows had he been alive when the bar was around. Yeah, it was hilarious. I, I loved that. It was like, it was, I mean, it was a great walking tour of Copenhagen. It was free. You know, it's just <laughs> oh, around sure. to little plaques. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just so funny to me. I was like, okay, sure. But. Yes, so this ending, this ending is really gross yeah. in a lot of ways. So the reward for the Little Mermaid for not killing this dude, which once again, to be fair, this dude had never promised her anything. She just what? showed up one day, mm -hmm. mutant with legs, and was like, you must love me. And he's like, I'm not going to, though. So that's, that's fair. But this sounds actually more torturous in some ways, where she has to go not live among her family, but live among these stranger air spirits. And just do good deeds for men, which entail just fanning men in hot weather and making babies smile. And somehow it's their fault if a baby is unhappy and then they just get added on to their trials You're and torment. at the mercy of children being in a crappy mood at this point, really. That will determine how long your servitude to man will be, is yeah. if infants are having a bad day. Wow. So it's really this whole... 
Once again, from Hans Christian Andersen's perspective, man is superior to mermaids, and mermaids don't have a soul, and they can work to try to appease the comforts of man to earn that soul. The director of this movie, once again, was like, nah, fuck that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so we're nah. going to find some sort of feminist narrative out of this, where the sister is going to avenge the death of her sister out of sorrow. It's still not a happy ending, but... At least it's not this ending, that somehow we have a complex end of emotions. But yeah, it's not a Victorian morality tale. One of my favorite commenters on the Hans Christian Andersen story comes from Pamela Travers, who's the author of Mary Poppins, for those who don't know the author of Mary Poppins, Mm -hmm. who is also a noted folklore commentator and essayist, once said that. This final message is more frightening than any other presented in the tale. The story descends into the Victorian moral tales written for children to scare them into good behavior. Anderson, this is blackmail, and the children know it and say nothing. So, yeah. But yes, so this whole movie is in some ways very based on a lot of the details of Hans Christian Anderson's Little Mermaid in terms of the sword cutting through the body and the sacrifice and the pain. And yet, instead of being a Victorian moral tale that's, well, man's just better, what are you going to do? This movie becomes an adaptation that strives to show more the naive sacrifices that really anybody, but in this case, women, will often make for men, especially when they're young and it's their first love, that... They tend to get overwhelmed with that emotion, say, I, it's the Romeo and Juliet thing, or I got to die for this person. I've got to sacrifice a lot of stuff for this person, all the way up to just the little things that people might do in a relationship to let a part of themselves die in order to seem better in somebody else's eyes. Mm-hmm. And that that is incredibly detrimental behavior that can lead to very tragic and sorrowful ends. And that's what happens here. Poor Silver can't. She gets trapped by that human fallibility. Mm. So she is ultimately human after all. She just was a preteen in love and got fucked over royally for it. Mm-hmm. Happy yeah. times. Goddamn. Which apparently was yeah. knowing that this is the director's autobiography also worked in here. Oh. Probably means that she had some feelings about some of the dudes that fucked her over <laughs> as she was growing up in the nightclub. <laughs> Yeah, luckily she did not turn into seafoam. She just grew up and made this movie. Yeah, you don't spend a lot of time in nightclubs without being exposed to a lot of emotions. This is true. Top five. So yeah, top five. My honorable mention goes to... uh, One second, I'm being handed uh, paperwork from our legal team. Okay, uh, yes, our, our legal department would like me to state the following. The bass players of America and other countries are valuable artists who contribute important aspects to the musical arts. The opinions expressed herein are not meant to disparage or discredit the work of the bass players of America and other countries and are meant only for entertainment purposes. So there, fucking bass players. So does that mean your honorable mention goes out to bass players? Number five is... (laughs) I guess so, sure, why not? Uh, Number five, I've never thought I would type this in a thing on a top five list but my number five goes out to communist poland all right for being the backdrop that inspired this amazing tale 
Now, my honorable mention goes out to the cinematography on this film. The lighting mm -hmm. is really cool in a lot of places. There's a lot of cool camera motion. And uh, yeah, it's a good watch. It's a good smooth watch. I dig it. Also to the mermaid sex. The lesbian mermaid sex. Well, everyone Jesus. involved in that scene. Yeah, everyone. I mean, be that the two actors, the set decorators, the, the lighting people. I mean, everything that came oh, together to I make that I guess I need to happen. also give my number five. So <laughs> Shouldn't you, My though? actual yes. number five goes out to the production design. The costumes, the sets, the cabaret itself was a very cool, beautiful space. Sparsely populated. There weren't a lot of people that frequented that nightclub in those scenes, but... <laughs> it did have a cool, timeless vibe in that socialist realism architecture. It's important. My number four goes out to the inspiration for the story, the Rongska sisters. I honestly now want a very straightforward retelling of their childhood, even though that's what they wanted to get away from when this movie was first being put together. Really, now I just want to know, what was going on with you guys? What were you up to back in the day? You weren't mermaids, but, you know... What was up? But uh, all the same, thank you, the Ronska sisters, for being uh, the inspiration for an otherwise out-of-this-world tale. Pun intended or not? Oh, oh, I didn't, not yeah. intended, Look but... Look at you, just on fire, man. But I'm proud of it, all the same. All right, my number four goes out to Golden, our mm -hmm. golden actress, bringing yep. that intense eye stare. Fuck God yeah. Damn, She's yeah. hot. She's super hot. Kind of some Lauren Bacall energy behind that. It's true. Yeah. I believed that she could eat me. Who's your number uh, three? Number three is our directing and writing team. The people who, you know, wrote and brought this thing together, had the vision to bring this all together. I mean, these are two people. I don't know how much they've worked together in the past or if they have before, but by God, these are two minds that came together and exploded onto the screen for our enjoyments, and I thank them for that. Yeah. My number three are the Ronska sisters. The Ronska right. sisters. Yeah, don't, don't try too hard. They live some cool lives, mermaids or not. They also, as far as I understand, wrote all of the music to this and performed all of the music on this. And so the voices that we hear coming out of the sisters in the film are the Ronska sisters in real life. And they have very cool, weird, ethereal voices. They are the mermaids. I knew it. I'm digging it. Yeah. <laughs> the lure. They, they have a certain affect. Who's your number two? Two. My number two goes out to our two mermaids, Golden and Silver. They're, I mean, they're a team. I admit Golden definitely had the fiercest look of the two of them. But you know what? They're a unit. They're a team. One cannot exist without the other. And really, when one does not exist in this movie, the other just says, okay, yeah, I'm out. Gotta go. But they're both bringing their own unique energies to it. Yes, Golden is the better one. But still, they're both amazing. Your number two. My number two is the director. It is very cool. It's always cool to have female horror directors. This movie is not a full-on horror movie, but it's got its, its own thing going. And so I respect that. And you can kind of get that vibe and energy from it. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a cool different take on a mermaid tale mm -hmm. all around. Pun intended? I don't know. <laughs> you do 
Do you know that there was a pun there? Well, I guess I just repeated you, which is more disturbing than anything. (laughs) (laughs) Got her, finally. God, (laughs) you've you've seeped in to... Ah, I am like the wind and also the the river. Aggravating and and cold. Yeah. (laughs) My number one is what plebeians like you relegated to your honorable mention, and that's the cinematography in this beautiful, gorgeous, depressing, delightful, dreary, gorgeous, sad-looking movie. Yeah, I was all over the place there, but by God, that's what the (laughs) cinematography does. so is the cinematography. Exactly, man. From the gorgeously lit musical numbers that are in this to the dingy nightclub back rooms and bathrooms and apartments and just making everything look sexy ugly or ugly sexy. I don't know. I forget if we've ever discussed this in the past, but I think you've put forth the theory that there is a sexy ugly, an ugly sexy thing out there. I don't think I've ever said that on this cast, but yeah, I mean, you know, I like my dereliction and decay and yeah, industrial garbage into it. It's the hot derelict, you know. Yeah, derelict. De- <laughs> it's the one thing Zoolander just nailed. Uh, derelict. Derelict. Yeah, yeah um, there was that 2000s trend of dressing like you lived on the streets as mole people <laughs> underground in the subways and all of your clothes were tattered and torn and your gloves didn't have fingers. And I was so there for it. <laughs> I, I guess that's that's what we can call this then. The cinematography is beautiful, derelict cinematography. Yeah, most of my early 20s were spent in ripped jeans and black slips and torn gloves. It, it, was, a, it was a thing. Is this when you were living in England? Uh, I was living in France getting my yeah degree in cinematography. So it was okay. a whole mood. I was one of those people. I- <laughs> I do have this memory of myself in college where I was wearing those torn fingerless gloves and a pea coat, and it was really, really windy, unseasonably windy and cold, and I think it was snowing, and I was walking to the building that I needed to get to over a bridge, clutching my copy for class of my modernist poetry anthology. I think it's like a, a Yates, maybe, collection, and I'm like, uh, this is... This is a thing. This is a Mm -hmm. very cliche moment that is Mm -hmm. hilarious to me. Yeah. So I was self-aware enough to know I was ridiculous, but I didn't stop. I never stopped. Never stopped stopping. That's true. Still pretentious and ridiculous. It's fine. Oh, yes. It's delightful. You're number one, London. What is the number one? The top, the top dog, the thing that makes this movie for you. Take us there. What is it? So my number one is the effects on this film, particularly those tails. The tails are gorgeous. They're huge. They're heavy. They move. They look very natural. When they dissolve back and forth between the legs and the tail, there's something very amazingly seamless where the water gets dripped on them and the scales just sort of shimmer under the skin. There's a lot of really great lack of any sort of seam around their waist where that tail connects. So it's a little bit of a combination of practical and CGI. So both of them get a shout out here. The makeup artist's job on Triton's 
horns or his horn scars is gorgeous. So yeah, just the body effects work. That, and when they get cut in half, also really gorgeous. Mm. So that, those Cronenbergian crash moments coming in, and they come in hardest through the effects, and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. So yeah, that's the <laughs> lore. A wild, wonderful, fishy ride of weirdness that really isn't so weird at all when simply thought of as a fairy tale logic coming-of-age adaptation of The Little Mermaid. Like, aside from that one... OD confusing death scene. Everything else makes sense. <laughs> All fine. So before we say for it out here, I will throw out that we are findable on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and subreddit at Cinema of Cruelty. So I guess pick your poison on that one and check well, us I out. I guess we should be specific here. The Instagram and the Twitter is at Cinema of Cruelty. The subreddit is just Cinema of Cruelty. Because, you know, I have to explain that because one of us doesn't understand how Reddit works. Yeah, that's fair. There was also a MySpace page, but that didn't really work out. Yeah, no, we do not We really did try. We tried with that, but MySpace just fights you on doing things. There was a joke in an earlier episode that we were going to reclaim the MySpace. And no, there is no reclaiming the MySpace. No. (laughs) So, yeah. Pick one of those. Check us out for more film trivia and visual aids to the shit we talk about in episodes. And also, if you want to talk about movies, share your own theories, correct us on anything, or insult Benji further, you are encouraged to do so on any of what those platforms. The... Why me? Oh. Yeah, well, nobody wants to insult me. There's, there's nothing well, not... to insult. As I just said, nothing I am really the to... kind of person that wears fingerless gloves and walks across windy bridges, clutching oh. Yates' poetry. That speaks for itself, you know? <laughs> That's all one needs to say there. There's just nothing further that can be added. But uh, yeah, as for this film, though, this film has come to an end, a tragic end, a bloody end, an end that if it has taught us one thing and one thing only is that fish women are mean, carnivorous beings with little regard for the lives of man, and thus it remains perfectly acceptable to retaliate and embrace the delicious omega-3 vitamin-rich lifestyle of pescatarian. Safe word out. Boom. Sweat, baby, sweat, baby. Sex is a Texas drought. Me and you do the kind of stuff that only Prince would sing about. So put your hands down my pants and I'll bet you feel nuts. Yes, I'm Cisco. Yes, I'm Ebert. And you're getting two thumbs up. You've had enough of two hand touch. You want it rough. You're out of bounds. I want you smothered. Want you covered like my waffle house. Hash browns coming quicker than FedEx. Never reaching apex. Just like Google Coal stock. You are
South Seas, but I got this notion that the motion of your ocean meets small craft advisory. So if I capsize and defies high tide, B5, you sunk my battleship. Please turn me on. I'm Mr. Coffee with an automatic trip. So show me yours. I'll show you mine. Tool time. You'll love it just like Lyle. And then we'll do it style so we can both watch X-Files. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. been corrupted by capitalism. Space!